Hello, and welcome again to another episode of the Watch That Join podcast. My name is Mary. And I'm James. And today, we will be reviewing Leave the World Behind, which is, uh, what is it, a 2023 film on yep. Netflix, directed by Sam Esmail, and is actually based on an adaptation of a book of the same name by Ruman Alam. Hmm. Yeah. So Actually, I saw that book in Target yesterday. So. Oh, really? Yeah. How yeah, did the it's cover the most, look? The cover would just look like the movie cover. So okay, so like the trees in the background and leave a little mm -hmm. behind in red font. With the with the with the movie uh, actors on it. Yeah. So right now it's the largest. It's the most popular um, movie on Netflix as of today. So. Is it really? Mm -hmm. Number one, oh. I had uh, my coworkers. And there were people talking about this movie, so I'm excited that we get to review it. Yeah. It's something that's easily easy to scream, so our listeners can go find it and watch it right before this episode drops or uh, right after. So, Yeah, and it's always better for us every now and again to do a movie that's on streaming services because we can also watch the movie more than once without paying for it <laughs> and really yeah. give more of a in-depth analysis about the film. Yes, as an economical decision as well as practical. So. Yeah. So I actually um, looked up a few interviews um, with the director and also with the author of the book, so with Sam Esmail and Ramana Alam. And mm -hmm. I'm really glad I did that because I think it provided a lot more clarity, <laughs> which is ironic to say, but the, the aim of the movie was a lot more clear to me the second time watching the film after seeing the interviews between them. Mm. And um, Sam kind of, he said he kind of describes the movie, the feel he was going for was a dream that slowly turns into a nightmare. Oh, wow. And, um, which is funny, and I'll, I'll explain, but, well, I think it's spot on. He did a great job because there are quite a few parts of the movie that seems nightmarish, like literally like surreal and like you're in a nightmare. And also yeah, he said, you know, um, his, his, his feeling, what he really wants to capture was just a feeling of tension and dread. And tension so much, he said, like, tension, like, how far can I pull a rubber band before it actually breaks? That's yeah. the word to use. And I feel like that describes the movie spot on. Spot on. Yeah. You know, it's it was a lot of tension. And the movie starts out with Amanda Sanford, which is played by Julia Roberts. Oh, you found their last name. Let me yeah. see. When I was like looking up the cast, it said they didn't have any last names. I was like, is it just me? <laughs> yeah, it just says they, Amanda. Yeah, so Amanda and her husband Clay, played by Ethan Hawke, um, they're start out in their bedroom, you know, and man and Amanda is is basically rummaging around the room and clay wakes up and he sees that he's that she's packing and he's confused and he's like hey what's going on and she explains that she found this house by the beach and they need a vacation and work has been so stressful and that um she booked the the house for her family to go to go to and she's packing for him and clay's like okay so and he's still half asleep What's He's the name like, of that? Um, it's not Airbnb, but what's the name of that? Um, that uh, what's Verbo? it? 
Verbo. Verbo seems like the more expensive version of Airbnb, doesn't it? That house is mm-hmm. definitely a Verbo. No, absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um so uh yeah, so he's she's like I booked it for today. Right? And that's funny because that sounds like something that we would do. My mom would do Our growing mom up. Would do. That's very Libby. That's that's Libby. That's Libby that's all day. Very Libby. Is and that I, she would it, you know, sometimes it's fun spontaneity. Other times it's like, Mom, you are so chaotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, as a kid, it was fun. Exactly. I remember one time we got off of school. We got off of school and um, she just had covers in the back of the car. And I'm like, Mom, what's going on? She's like, we're going to the beach. And I'm like, okay. Really? I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, we're going I don't to the put beach. a past you. I don't put a past you. Or there was but, also uh, one time where uh, we just got in a car and she's like, we're going to Disney World. <laughs> Oh, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Go home, Packer, going to Disney. That was, that was yeah, the time. Yeah, that was like, what? So, yeah. But going back, um, I'm going to take it a few steps back. Uh, when the movie first opens up, like during, well, after, you know, Amanda announces that she, um, that she needs a vacation, that she says that uh, – work is stressing her out stressing her husband out and she mm-hmm. just she hates people and she wants to get away from people and then it's the it's the opening credits and one thing i noticed about this movie is the music selection and a lot of the music selection is well the musical choices is by black artists and at first i thought yep. it was just like because you know the obamas are the executive producers of this film yes they are and um i, I found the link actually between Ruman Alam's novel and apparently that was on like uh, Obama's list of like favorite books in 2021. That makes sense. I was about the favorite songs you mean. Oh, his books? Yeah, the, the book. The book that the movie is based on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I know. I, I know. Okay. I know. I'm, I'm making a connection between the song because well, first I just thought, you know, it's it's black uh, executive producers and well, there are black executive producers and that's why there's so much black music but um yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the book by Rumam Alam that was one that was on the list of Obama's like you know how like people put out a list of like their favorite books and everything. Mm-hmm. It was on that list, and actually Obama talked to Sam Esmail, and Sam said that, um, in the original draft of the scripts, I definitely pushed things a lot farther than they were in the film, and President Obama having the experience he does was able to ground me a little bit in how things were meant to unfold in reality. Mm, so okay. at first I, I heard this song um, in the Revenge opening by credits. Joey Badass? Yes, misled by Joey Badass. And at first I'm just kind of like, this song doesn't match anything. Like it, we have these white people and you have like gone on their expensive vacation in some expensive part of New York. Why is Joey Badass playing? But then I saw the word, the, the name of the song is called Misled. And he says yeah. misled a few thing a few times throughout the the song, and I'm like, oh, that literally is the experience that um, Amanda, Clay, Ruth, and Archie have when approaching the house. They are misled. Everything they thought the vacation would be is not that at all. So I was like, I think that's a really good fit. Yeah, and, uh, actually, yeah. yeah, I'm actually happy that you you looked into the songs and the authors because when I first the I song first it. came on, yeah, I was like. I, I I thought it was a little off-putting too. Yeah. I thought the song was a banger. I was like, oh, I never heard this before. I so looked it up, but um, yeah. 
so after so part so this movie is broken up into parts right so i figured we can kind of talk about each part um to kind of organize ourselves since it's a, it's a relatively long film like i think runtime was it's a like two, over two hours two, two hours and like 20 minutes or so yeah yeah so it's a relatively long film so part one is the house right and this is where they obviously they get to the cabin they get to their airbnb and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a mile ho- a modern style home, two floors, this beautiful pool. Oh no, yeah. no! I, sorry to go back. No, the song that plays, the song that plays in the beginning credit is called "The Revenge" by Joey Badass. Yes, That's the song. Right. I still yep. don't understand. When he gets to the house, they hear "Misled" by Cool and the Gang. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that okay. that makes sense because they're arriving to the house and they're mis- kind of misled about what's really going to happen. So yeah, they get to the house and it is. It is beautiful. It is stately. It is grandiose. It's, mm-hmm. it's just giving money. I make a lots of money. You could never. Exactly right. And um, the 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 scene that I noticed, um, I didn't notice it the first time as much as watching it the second time. But Amanda makes a trip to the grocery store, right? Um, after they get settled, and she picks up groceries, and she sees a man who's in his pickup truck, and he's putting cases of water. In large packages of rice and other non-perishable goods, and she gets a weird feeling and looks away when he sees watching her, right? And I think um, later on we find out who that character was, but that was basically the first thing that was kind of like just a little weird, just a little off. That you can't really put your hand on it, but basically, like, why is this guy? He was shopping like a storm was coming, and he know? looked just like Clay at first. He I looked he just like her too. husband, her husband Clay, yeah. and I think it's really foreshadowing, kind of Clay's future. Like they don't know it yet, but she's looking into who's Clay's going to be becoming. He's going to become this doomsday prepper, even though it's too late. Just like yeah. Danny is. That's that's the character's name. He is, is George's neighbor, played by Mahersha Ali, finest man in the suit. I swear to God, that man can wear a suit. But um, yeah. But going back to the house when they first arrived. Did you notice, they, they framed it a lot in this movie, but there's this big black and white piece of art hanging on the wall. Mm. I believe you, I didn't pay attention to the art. They oh, frame yeah. it, on the second time, I realized how much they frame it. And the crazy thing about it is that it changes throughout the film. The art changes. It looks different, it looks different. Oh. I think it stays, the, uh, I think it stays the same in part one, and I think around like part three, it starts to change. So oh. when I originally see the piece of art hanging on the wall, which I assume um, is, well, yeah, I, I see this this piece of art hanging on the wall and it, it looks like a black background with specks of white and these large sort of peak looking white shapes mm-hmm. um, in the foreground. And it's just like, yeah, they look like large white peaks and then like in an all black background, but there's like specks of white too. I so do to, remember that now. Okay. Yeah, okay. to me, it seems like it may represent like the, what is, I don't know their last name. what did you say the last name was of the white family? I, I had it written down as Sanford. I don't know where I got that from, but I wrote down Yeah, Sanford. because when when I look um, on Google, it says that Ruth's last name is, um, is they're, Washington, they're... even though George's last name is Scott. Yeah, they called him the Scots, but I don't know. I didn't catch the last name with Washington. Listen, anyway. listen. Um, I'll, I'll, but listen, that's what. Um, going back to Sam, I'm jumping around all over the place. But um, 
Sam said, I love movies. Sam Esmail, the directors, he said, I love movies where the end of the film is the beginning of a conversation. And when you have, and when you answer all these questions, you close the door on that. So I feel like we're supposed to be confused about what their names are too, like even their last names and everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm gonna call them. Sam, I'm gonna call them Amanda and Clay. What it was, what it, what the 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 artwork represented to me is kind of like whiteness intruding on a black space. Oh, it seemed like it didn't it didn't belong there. It's just like these, it was clashing. See if you can look it up real quick. Like it's like these jagged white peaks. And there's four peaks representing I that I think representing each of them. Amanda, Clay, Ruth, not Ruth, Amanda, Clay, Rose, and Archie on a black background. And it just seems like to me that it kind of represents like an intrusing onto this black space. And even like um uh there's this one scene. You remember that scene where Amanda is uh, she's walking up the stairs and the camera's like swirling around her and she goes into the bedroom and then they play this R&B song, Never Gonna yep. Let You Go by Blackstreet. Yeah, nah, yep, 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 yep. I, that kind of seemed like an intrusion too because the camera's kind of positioned like we're kind of watching her like a fly on the wall or like a peeping Tom. And then they play this romantic R&B song when she's in the bedroom but she's in George's and Maya, that's George's wife's bedroom. Yeah, you see, there's four peaks, right? Do you see four distinct yep. peaks in the, yeah. Yep. It, it yep, changes. Yep, yep. I swear to God, the picture changes when you watch the movie. I don't think I'm tripping. But um, yeah, so she climbs up the stairs into George's bedroom. Like I said, the camera's kind of positioned like kind of like we're peeking on something, like a private moment. And Never Gonna Let You Go by Blackstreet plays in the background. And she's in their bedroom and she lays out on the bed. And it kind of seems like the camera choice and how that shot is filmed and the romantic music is kind of like Amanda is intruding on this man's bedroom and like a space where he had private romantic moments with his wife. Mm. And we know that later on in the film, something, you know, there's some sort of real romantic tension between them. So I see it as like, kind of like her stepping into Maya's place or something. So Oh, so yeah, absolutely. This is It what changes. The picture changes. Yeah. Yes. It changes. It changes from the peaks to like you said, this this crazy like pattern and everything. Yeah, and then it changes Afterwards. one more time. And I'm 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 if we talk about it when we get we, to it. Well let, let's figure it out. Do we wanna kinda do we wanna how do I say it? so what we'll do we'll find the pictures and we'll post them on our Instagram so you guys can see it as we talk. Okay. We post a video. Okay. We'll find all three paintings and post it. Yeah. So yeah, but like we can, that. But we can move on though. But we can we can find it. Okay. But, so yeah. So um. Yeah, like that. Like everything Amanda does when she gets into the house, honestly, seems very intrusive and just like entitled. You know. Mm, she definitely was entitled. Very entitled. Um, like very her entitled. Personality was. Yeah. And what did you? Uh, I'm going back. But what what do you think when she meant? When she just says she fucking hates people. Because that's a theme in the film. That's like a, a constant of her just being yes. angry. Her, her, the theme in this film that she hates people. Mm -hmm. I'll touch back on that later. But I think okay. she is um, pessimistic. She is a pessimist, know? yeah. And she... Um, so I was reading this book called How to Talk to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. Right? And... 
basically his his he argues that we as humans are very bad at talking to strangers and we uh we have a tendency to have he called it a uh, a uh, a tendency for truth to basically a default to truth that's what he called it basically if so, and if someone told you, like when you go to the supermarket, okay. and they're like, "Oh yeah, your stuff was five dollars and fifty cents." Okay. You you don't go and do the math. You don't go and like add the taxes. You and trust everything. them. You trust that's five dollars and fifty cents. Okay. If someone goes and say, "Hey, you know, you drop something," you trust them and you'll go pick it up. Mm-hmm. So, people who have a default to truth, like most people, see the road differently than people who have a default to untruth. Just so kind of deviousness. Yeah, just like like mysteriousness. I mean, yeah, like you're you're skeptical of everything. You don't trust mm. anyone, mm. and I think that's exactly how Amanda was. She didn't trust anyone. She she obviously hated people in the outside world, um, and later on, when the Scots come to the house in the middle of the night, if that's she, even their real last name, we don't know. <laughs> exactly, she immediately um, mistrusts them. Yeah. So do you think this this bec- this is because of her job? Like she hints towards towards like the end of the film that it's her job and working. So she says she works in, in advertising. Mm. Sorry, my nose is allergies is killing me. But she says she works in advertising on the relationship management side. And she mm-hmm. just says she sees like the crazy, terrible things people do to one another. And that makes her hate people. Do you think that's the real reason? I think that's probably part of the reason, right? I think when you do a job for so long, it definitely alters the way you you view the world, Mm -hmm. right? And she said that she was in relationship management. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that it's her personality to be mistrustful. What Um, do you think of Clay, her husband? So Clay, I actually took down notes about Clay. Played by Ethan Hawke. But played by Ethan Hawke, he was the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he was. Like, I instantly liked them. Um, basically, he was the default, the truth person. He was the person that's like, okay. An open book, I believe Open you. book, yeah. I believe you. I'm going to trust you. Um, I can read. Like people, Some people believe they can read people. Like, he I did can say read, that. Yeah. I can read people. I can About tell. About the quote-unquote Scots. Yeah. Exactly. So when the Scots, when... Uh, um, when G.H. and uh, Ruth knocked on the door in the middle of the night, right, saying, claiming that that was their house and that they was a blackout and he needed a place to stay, right? Amanda was like, um, prove it's your house. How do you know it's your house? Where are you coming from? Where's your car? Why is it so late? She was asking logical. I think very reasonable, logical questions. Reasonable questions. Yes, of course, there was some um, implicit biases because they were mm-hmm. black, yeah. but that was very, I, I would have been the same way. I don't know who you are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But Clay, right, I mean, the, 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 the moment that I thought was like, oh, I like Clay, right? Um, <laughs> when, when, uh, when I'm trying to, I'm getting the characters' names mixed up. When GH was like, "Hey, George," I call him George more than GH. Okay, yeah. When George was like, "Hey, we want to say the night," and I hope you understand, Clay was like, "Of course." Yeah. You know, his exactly. instant respond was understanding. You can stay here, of course. And Amanda was like, "WTF? 
What do you yeah. mean? Our children are sleep upstairs. Like we yeah. don't know who these people are. Yeah. Right. And and like the likelihood that they own this house out in Long Island, this beautiful million dollar house, probably multi million dollar house, right? Like the likelihood What's the house? that they is, is this I can't remember. The house is in Long Island. I don't remember specifying where the house is. Okay. Yeah, the house is in Long Island. Long At Island, first, North I thought Island. the whole thing was taking place in Philly because remember they had the Sixers Cup? He had a Sixers scene? Cup. Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was in Philly, too. Yeah. Um, But he got out the city. But yeah, yeah. He was yeah. a Sixers fan. But um, one thing I think about Clay, um, I remember towards later on in the film – not Maya, Ruth asks him if he ever slept with one of his students. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe he did. <laughs> yeah. Like, he just seems like the kind of guy who is kind of like a fake feminist. And I say this because um, he wears this this T-shirt. I, I did research on the costumes, too, because everyone's wearing, like, there's T-shirts that people wear, and I feel like it says a lot about the characters. But mm. he wears this T-shirt that says Bikini Kill, and Bikini Kill is actually this punk rock um, feminist band, I think in around like the 1960s or so. I think they're oh. UK based. And um, no, actually, no, it's an American feminist punk rock band. And I think Clay kind of sees himself as like this feminist. But really, I think he's a little bit of a womanizer and an opportunist. And I think he uses his like sort of laid back feminist, everything's cool, bro, demeanor to kind of persuade women to sleep with him, if that makes sense. Like mm. he kind of plays the simp, even though I hate that word, and like to really get, to really drop the panties, but that may not be who he really is. But that could be just me. That could be just me. But um, yeah, if we're sticking to to part one of the film, which yeah. is called, um, what is it called? The house? the house? The house. The house, yep. What did you think when they went to the beach? Oh, so they were on the beach and they were just relaxing and they see this oil tanker, this giant ship. The white lion. Them, right? The white lion. That's the name of the oil tanker. Oh, that's the, the name lion. of the oil tanker. Yes. So they <laughs> the saw bold, it. The oil tanker. So they, they saw it. Coming towards them, right? Who saw it first? The little girl. Yeah, she noticed everything's first. Yeah, she did. She noticed it first, and I, I think feel like she she's a personification it. of a warning. Hmm. Well, we actually skipped over the little girl. Remember, she was fascinated, obsessed with friends. With friends. Yeah. With friends. With Rosie. Right? Okay. Okay. Let's. I guess let's talk about Rosie a little bit. Yeah. What is that about? Her obsession with friends. See. I don't know. I never watched Friends like that. And when I watched it in the dough, I didn't think it was that funny. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, like, I think it's a few things, right? Because one, it's showing that um, basically kids just have obsessions over over just streaming, right? She All she cared about more than life or death was watching Friends, the entire movie. That's all she cared about. She the was show. frustrated about it. All 10 seasons. All 10 seasons, right? She was in this beautiful house with a beautiful pool, on vacation with her family. They're not caring the world, but all she cared about was friends wasn't working. I think that's point one. Part two, I think, and, and it actually keys, keys into what you said that she's a warning, is that friends is not a child show. 
Friends it has very um, sexual in- indications and like innuendos. the jokes and innuendos, you know what I mean? And jokes and just straight up talks about sex. You it don't think it's not- still like cut? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's I. I would still consider it kind of like a family show, but, you know, no, not for the little no, kids. No, it's not. A, in my opinion, it's not. Basically, now. What about uh, The Fresh Prince? Do you think that's a. The Fresh Prince is more of a family show. There's a lot of Friends. sexual innuendos. Will Smith is getting laid every two minutes. Yes, but in my opinion, Friends was like the PG version of Sex in the City. I, I don't even know. I can't even I can't even debate that because, I, like I said, I didn't yeah. watch the show. <laughs> so so I think that portion of it because i think even the 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 ruth right when she was like you watch friends she was or like yeah what like, did she oh. say she said um she said um i used to it's watch like, the show too but it's nostalgic for a time that never really existed yeah yeah so i think i think that's similar uh that shows that her parents were not watching her that she was not listening was not really monitoring what she was watching or monitoring what she do because if you watch it with her and then you go and there's an episode I remember where um, one of the characters is like, oh, I'm the best, like that was the best I ever had. Just talking and the guy was jump up and down dancing because he was the best sexual partner that um, the other character ever had, right? And as a 12 year old, do you really want your 12 year old watching all that? Do, do, do a parent really, if they understand what's really they're watching, will let them binge watch that show? And I would think no. So I think it's one, it's obsession. Remember she with, said uh, that she watched, um, oh my goodness. I think she said she that watched she watched the, Succession. Uh, the Wire. The Wire. No, not The Wire. It, not The Wire. She watched some white show. Um, I, the Senate, something. When she told that story about God and the flood. I think I think it was, I think it was, um, that wasn't it's the a wire? show like House of Cards. Yeah, it's not exactly. House of Cards. Not The Wire. It's, it's, it's too, it was too white to be The Wire. Who cares? But yeah, she she was like, you yeah. watched that show? Yeah. Exactly. But I, I think, actually, what are you saying? Yeah, and I think that's that's another theme. Well, kind of a theme. It's like, hey, man, you got to pay attention to your kids. And when your kids see something and are nervous or you got to like be available because there was one part too where she was like, no one listens to me. No one listens to me. I felt so bad for her. I was like, it's true. And then her brother, her asshole brother, Archie, was like, yeah, you're right. Exactly. We fucking hate you pretty much. <laughs> but exactly. um. I actually yeah, so, did you she was she was pressed to see the friend series finale and I did some research so it said that um it said that the series finale first aired on NBC in the US on May 6 2004 when it was watched by 52 and a half million viewers wow making it the most watched entertainment telecast in 6 years and the fifth most watched overall television series finale in US history as wow. well as the most watched episode from any television series throughout the decade of the 2000s on U.S. television. Wow. And upon hearing that, I see why she was so pressed to watch yeah. the season finale. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think the show, she said it before, I think the show is a comfort to her, you mm-hmm. know? When you think about sitcoms, when... um when Ruth actually said that it's nostalgic for a time that never happens, I was like, maybe she's talking about like sitcoms in general as well. Like sitcoms, you know, after every 22 and a half minutes, the show wraps up neatly. Mm -hmm. It's a little predictable. It's there's no, every problem can be solved within those 22 minutes and then everything's okay. And it works out. And it's like, you know, there never, there might have never been a time like that for Ruth 
or maybe she wants that reassurance because now everything is so uncertain and that's why I think she was so she really wanted to know what happened between Moss and Rachel and why she wanted to watch the last episode because it's like I need some freaking certainty I don't know what's happening in my real world let me watch this comfort show and you know get some clarity about something like yeah no I agree yeah, People like back. it because it is, it is kind of feel good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so when this ship came up and... It was crazy. We were watching it and I'm like, yo, that is dumb close. It was right? scary. And it was it has so a way... Every time they cut to the scene, you'll just see Roof just staring out. No one's else paying attention, but the ship's just inching forward closer. And like it's... Yeah. I thought visually it was really unsettling. Mm-hmm. Like, and Absolutely. you know, movies do that nowadays. Like, ever since I've seen like Midsummer, I've seen like an influx of movies where scary stuff happens in the daytime, mm. and like in the sunny, bright of day, things can still be dis- like disturbing. And I like that. Yeah, because you don't expect it. Yeah. You know, everyone's on guard at night. I think it's just what we've been kind of encoded to do, right? To be on mm-hmm. guard all night because that's where your threat comes from. Yeah. But when you're sitting on the beach in broad daylight and you see a boat. He's. I remember Clay once again. The default, the truth. That boat's gonna stop, right? It gotta stop. And then mm, like, that's uh, that's a good. That's that's yeah. It has to stop. And she's like, no. She's a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Well, Amanda. I mean, Amanda. Amanda's like, no. Is a skeptic. They got up. <laughs> the funny thing, Eileen mentioned. My wife mentioned that. Uh, she can't believe they stopped to pack this stuff. Right. Like literally. Like a. I don't know what thirty ton boat is steaming at you like offshore, and they packed their stuff, and they barely got by. They barely made it. You, you know, know I think it's across. weird. It's like a weird sort of autopilot sort of thing. Like the fact when they tell you when you get on a plane, and the flight attendants have to tell you, in the instance of an emergency where we have to make an emergency landing and evacuate the plane, do not bring your stuff with you. People are yeah. attached to their things. They are. You're right. Like anytime people will like they they tell you a trick to not leave your baby in the car is to put your phone in the back seat with the baby because you remember to take your phone. <laughs> it's true. Wow. Yeah. It's true. So um, yeah. It 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 was crazy, and I was like, that is actually a terrifying thing. Imagine experiencing that in real life. No, I would um, I would never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. I would never forget it. Yeah, and it, it, they forgot. The kids seemed to forget about it really quickly when they went back to their home. And they went back to their home, and that's where Rosie first see. Whoa, well, that's where Amanda and Clay first see the deer. And Clay mm. says this. Clay says that, um, according to Mesoamerican mythology, that deers are a sign of a good omen. Yep, I remember that. I did a little bit of research, and literally there's a whole book that I found with, like, multiple chapters about what's deer symbolizes in the Mayan culture. Yeah. Like I said, and I, I, I think it's a never call back to just like the uncertainty of things because I'm not saying that Clay is wrong, that it's a bad omen. He most definitely probably isn't. But deer in the Mayan culture has so many different meanings. And one of them, I'm going to read this excerpt that I seen from this book called, um, let me see if I can find it. Um, the Beast Between Deer and Mayan Art and Culture by Matthew Looper. Okay. He writes that 
Like other, Mesopota like other Mesoamericans, the Maya generally consider the wilderness and its denizens, including deer, to be associated with chaos, immorality, and disease. Hmm. The more specific Im imagining of deer as foe derives directly from the role of this mammal as one of the principal game animals of the Maya. Emerging from this concept are several major aspects of deer symbolisms, as, as outlined in this book, especially deer in relation to warfare, ball game, and sacrifice. Mm. So I'm like, the deer aren't a good thing as far as I see. Like, and there's definitely yeah. conference, like, there's definitely, like, a lot of talk about warfare and just, like, human immorality and how they treat each other, disease, you know, later on, her son gets sick, Archie gets sick, and weird shit starts mm. happening to him. So I'm just like, hmm. you could be right, Clay. I, I believe you're right, but I'm like, there's also a lot about deer that you didn't mention. So it's yeah, kind of, it's, it's yeah, it's this uncertainty too. Are the deer good or are they bad? Are they good exactly. or are they bad? Yeah. And you know, and, and the person seeing that, right? So the daughter was freaked out. Mm -hmm. She was kind of staring at, she was freaked out. But Clay thought it was positive. Thought yeah. it was a good omen. Thought it, yeah. thought it was a th good thing that, oh, deer are getting so close to us. Right? Yeah. And like, the, like, like Sam said, you know, he likes a movie where at the end you have a conversation to try to figure out what it means. So I can't wait to actually watch a review for this movie when this is over with. But yeah, we are the review. Yeah, we are. Okay, so I guess we should talk about um, uh, I guess a little bit more about when um, Clay and Roof get to the house. Not Clay, when George Clay and Roof get to the house. Yeah. So so. Before that, when when they get to the house after the beach, right? Okay, when the, the, the white family notice, gets back to the house. Yes, they notice that the TV and the, the, TV and the Wi-Fi is not working. Mm, yeah. Right. It's not working. And um, I forget, Amanda was trying to look at something on her phone, I think, and she couldn't get any service. Right, yeah. Right? And then they were like, oh, you can help me with the burgers, and he started cooking. And then later on, after they saw the deer, there's a knock on the door at that night when the children are asleep, right? And they're playing wine. They're, they're playing Jenga and drinking wine. Mm -hmm. And I saw that, and I paused The Jenga? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, Aline, we should do that. We should have, like, adult chilling, playing Jenga, just the two of us drinking wine. So I bought Jenga because of this movie. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's cool. I bought yeah, about Jenga because I feel like every two weeks I'm like DQ. How come we don't got no board games in the house? Like I want to have a game night with you. Yeah, and then I yeah. buy them and I lose it. I bought Taboo. I bought Cards Against Humanity. I don't know where it is. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Yeah, no, we just bought a board game we gonna play for Christmas. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you after this. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the the Jenga. Uh, yeah, so they're playing Jenga. And then there was a knock. So they hear a noise outside, not even knocking the door. They hear a noise outside. And then she's like, Clay, did you hear that? And oh, snap. What you said about Clay makes sense because he was talking about how his student, Yes, yes. Yes, how his student was just got published and how he felt like. He, she wanted her. him to write the foreword to her book. Yeah. And what he said, what he said, well, I'm going to let you finish and I'm going to add on to that because we might say no, the same if thing. You, if you, no, if you wrote down what he said, what, what he said. So he said, um, let me see. He said, uh, yeah, her second book, he's talking about a student. He said her second book is an exploration of how media, how media serves as both an escape and a reflection. Mm. And I feel like that sentence there 
is leave the world behind like the movie mm. itself you know we normally watch movies to escape to relax to wind down but this movie is also you know art imitates life and yep. this movie is really dealing with like there's several instances in this movie where they talk about real life stuff terrible stuff that has happened so i was like that's kind of interesting that's kind of interesting and um yeah but like you said it's like you say what you were going to say about her student he was probably smashing. He's fucking um, yeah. <laughs> he was probably smashing. And because even the um, forward on the book, that's obviously that's a huge honor, mm. you know, because you the person, an author, they put so much into a book, mm. so much time, and the forward is the first thing that the person reads. What is that like? And the summary, the, the synopsis. It's like not even a synopsis. It's more. It's mostly like a. Uh, it's equivalent to, um, you know how. Uh, uh, it's equivalent to um, someone introducing a guest speaker. Oh, you know, it's okay. kind of like that. Okay, I, like, I kind of like, like introducing the Arthur. You know, it's like the okay. book. Okay, the book you told me to read about bone swans, for example. Oh, such a good they book. They had that is a book. Everyone should read a, Bone Swans by what is what is it? C. S. E. Cooney. I don't know. Maybe. Great book. Everyone should read it. Great book. So. There was a forwarder in there, and they talked about how good she was as a student. I do remember that, yes. And basically advocating for the author. Mm, so, and, okay. and, and basically introducing the author to the, uh, a known author, introducing an unknown author to the rest of the stage, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so it's a big deal. Yeah. And, and like you said, I think they were smashing. Because yeah. his wife, if you notice, she didn't care at all. She was, she, right, she was like, whatever. And even earlier in the film, they get to the house and Amanda gives him a pack of cigarettes and he's, she's like, I know you sneak some smokes in every now and again. I want you to enjoy yourself. And he's like, oh, he like proposition sex with her saying, oh, you know how I really enjoy myself? And at first she gives him this disdainful look, like yeah. how dare you? And then she gives in. But I feel like it may have been because he cheated on her and she's probably still mad about it. But that's just mm. my interpretation. No, actually, that makes sense. I was I was wondering. She did give him a look. I'm like, why yeah. did she play him yeah. like that? She played him pretty well. That she was like, you got 15 minutes. Yeah. And he was like, okay. And um, even when I think about them playing Jenga, I'm like, this is such a symbolic game to play because it's literally such an unstable game to play. And you notice, um, I forget at one point the Jenga tower falls down when they mm -hmm. lose communication. And it's just like them playing Jenga. It's like, okay, like um, the the Arthur, um, Ruman Alam, he says that watching the movie, he said the story kind of feels like it's constantly shifting beneath your feet. And that's mm -hmm. kind of the feeling that Jenga has because you're literally moving the foundation to make it as unstable as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's like that really so, sums up so this movie. So it collapsed. It collapsed. On, on your opponent. That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah. To make it unstable as possible so it can collapse. Mm -hmm. And that's a never theme deep in this movie, the root of the movie. Right? You take away this ability so the so it can collapse. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So what is what did you first think when um George and Ruth came? When George and Ruth knocked on the door. I thought they're purgers. I mm. thought this is a black purge. Do not <laughs> let them in. They are yeah. lying. Well the first thing I thought is that George is fine. George is fine. Him in that suit. I say, baby, you can come whenever you want. I don't care. This is your house. Rob everything in here. It's not my damn house. Come in. He was, oof. That man. That, that man is something else. But um, 
Now I'm gonna keep talking about it because how the way they lit my boy's skin. He just looks he just looks like he was kissed by moonlight. He was in Moonlight, right? He was in Moonlight. I've never seen that movie. Um but yeah, he just uh Basic. he's so fine. And then um Shorty Roof played by Mahala or is it Mahala? Let me see. I think it's Mahala. Mahala. Let me see. Let me see. If I could find the cast, that'd be great. Uh Mahala. Yeah, Mahala Harold. She was in that movie that I talked about before, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Mm, yeah, I didn't remember you saying that. And, um, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I know her. And first I thought that was his wife. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I thought George was weird. I thought he was weird. And, like, we both agreed. I I agreed with Amanda with being skeptical and being like, no, because it's like, I don't know. He just seemed – it seemed like it took him forever. I don't know. It was weird. Like, I feel like if I knock on someone's door – the first thing I'm going to do as quickly as possible is tell them the situation at hand. What's happened? He kind of took his time, say, hey, hello, we tried using the back door, then we came to the front. I don't know. He seems kind of beating around the bush where it's like you need to get straight to it. Because I feel like even though this is your home, this is your home, you did agree to let these people live here for this amount of time. So they should be they should be skeptical and taken aback if you come out of nowhere and like he said, you know, they, they've never seen each other's face. They only talk through emails. So it's like, I think only in that sense is Amanda justifiable. And Clay was too lackadaisical because it's like, you don't know who these people are at the end of the day. So. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think he, so um, his mannerisms made him seem like he was trying to be honest. But what he was saying didn't really make sense. No. Like when she asked for like, oh, can I see your ID? And he was like, touched, like looked around and was like, oh, you won't believe this. I left my wallet at Coat Check. Yeah, at Coat Check at the like, Philharmonic. And she was like, I thought you turned around before you got to the theater. Yeah, he you said know? it got so crazy that he forgot to grab his coat from Coat Check. And she was like, but I thought she said the blackout happened on the drive here. And that's when you noticed things were getting crazy. Exactly. Is that uncertainty? We never know. And even when he comes to the house and he opens up the, the wine cabinet. He struggled. Is that tension of him struggling with the keys. And you're just kind of like, yo, is he lying? Is he lying? You see the gun when he opens it? Mm -hmm. And why does he have a wad of cash just sitting there? Yeah. $1,000 in cash just sitting in the drawer. But um, I did like Ruth, too, because I'm like, Ruth, uh, like, like I said, it is inconvenient. But I agree with Ruth as well, where it's like, at the end of the day, this is my fucking house. And I'm not going to sit here and beg you to stay in my home. Like, well, it's our house. Yeah. Even when she's, when, yeah, yeah. And then when, when, uh, when George was like, well, I'm not asking you to leave. I'm asking here to stay with you and to stay here with you and we'll stay downstairs. And Ruth was like, downstairs? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, downstairs in the suite. Yeah. Because he was trying to be accommodating. Yeah. And, and like you said, if he wanted to, he could easily grab that gun and be like, get out of my house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he chose not to. He chose instead to to pay them a refund. Yeah. $1,000, which is critical towards the end, if you remember. Yeah. He gave him the grand. And, uh, and yeah, they, they, the only reason they decided to let them stay was because when they were talking, the TV came on and it was like national alert. Mm -hmm. The power. And that's when the Jenga fell. That's when the Jenga house fell. That's when the Jenga fell. Yeah. And that was the end of part one. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, yeah, like I, I feel like for me, if I was George, I would have did the same thing that first flight and allowed them to stay 
in the master bedroom because it's like, you know, this was an agreement. I agreed to let you have the home and use it freely, even though it is a chaotic time. And I agree with Roof, like all that shit goes out the window, like it's chaos. But it's like me, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm trying to be like, I'm trying to honor our agreement and everything. But remember mm-hmm. that second night she was like, why are we still sleeping in the basement? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And even when um the next morning, um, and I think we're in part two right now. Before that, a critical okay. thing. Okay. Right. So after the the, the blue screen, right? They, there was a scene where You mean the Amanda, um that that this weird the weird like hacker alert or it's No no before that, before the hacker on the T V screen. On the T V screen. It was a blue The national broadcast. Saying, okay. Yes, the natural broadcast. They went upstairs and Amanda was like I can't believe you let him in a house, you know. Yeah. That could be the handyman, and she's a housekeeper. Oh, racist tropes. Racist. Yeah. Right? I'm like, what? Yeah. He's like, oh, the housekeeper, the handyman always knows where the money's at. The the housekeeper always has the keys. Mm-hmm. And Clay's like, relax. Yeah. You know, like, it's okay. I'll talk to him in the morning. I got a good feeling about this. Like then, a black yeah, woman goes, always be being the nanny or the maid or the exactly. mammy. It's, it's a tired racist trope. And I was like, Amanda... Exactly. Listen, uh, don't start with me, ho. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and got, even, got... um, yeah, she said something else the next morning. She was yelling at Clay, and she literally said, because um, she was mad that Clay was kind of, what's she said, unplus? She said a word I never heard before. Yeah, um, no, she did say unplus. So after the CNN alert, it flashed on the screen, only for half a second. Yeah. And the night went out. And it was part two, and part two is called The Curve. The Curve. So, yeah, there's this one. Uh, Amanda says something. She's like, um. Well, her bratty daughter wakes her up. Remember, she's like yeah. laying on top of her, waking her up, saying the Wi-Fi is out. Yeah. Hold on. I'm trying to. And then, and then after that. She says, sees... um, she said, oh, she said, Amanda says to Clay, she's like, those people are still in our house. Those people are still in our house. Mm-hmm. How is that your house? Exactly. The the caucasity, the entitlement is at an all time <laughs> high. Absolutely. But yeah, but yeah, you know, Rosie, she she literally, I I laugh like she literally like is lying on top of her mom saying, "Mom, I need to watch Friends." I was like, "Mom would have hit me so quickly if I work yeah. for some damn Friends." Exactly, because the Wi Fi is out. Oh my goodness! You better have some friends. Yeah, but you know it, it's funny because um um well yeah so so yeah so um that's where she gets the um Amanda she's looking on her phone and her on her phone the next morning and that's when she gets that weird news alert show up on her mm-hmm. phone. Do you remember what yeah. it said? Like, or the what do you alerts. think? Do you think it's just another thing to really? like another segment to add to the film to keep you confused about what's actually going on. So it was four alerts and okay. they said the hackers are beyond are behind the power outage. And then there was another alert that was just gibberish. You know, mm. like just some numbers and letters. Yeah. And then as soon as she basically our phone went back to sleep, you know, the alerts disappeared. Yeah. So I think yeah. whatever signal was able to push to the T V pushed her a phone overnight. Mm. whatever CNN news broadcasted. And you know what's also kind of interesting? The fact that Rosie is wearing a NASA shirt. Mm, I thought that was interesting. NASA and satellites. Yeah, and the satellites, you know, later on we find out that the satellites literally stopped working 
They might have been hacked into. We don't know what really happened. Mm-hmm. But yeah. But and yeah, this is this is when I noticed that the the art piece looks different in part two. Mm. It looks like the second piece you showed him. But um Yeah, and I think this is where we kind of see um oh also, also that I noticed Archie's wearing an Obey shirt. Do you remember that brand Obey? He was wearing a Obey shirt. Yeah, I never liked the brand Obey. So I thought it was weird to wear that on your shirt. Obey who for what? It it's it's like a, okay. So what I found out, Obey. This is what I say from Wikipedia. Obey is a clothing company, and um, it was created by the street the street artist named Shepard Fairey, as an extension of his work in activism. And um, so pretty much, um, it's ironic. It's a, it's it, it's ironic. So the, the you know how like the font of how Obey looks, like the big bold lettering of Obey. Okay. That style is taken from this 1980 film called They Live. And They Live is this film where pretty much, um, let me see, I have the Wikipedia. Okay, here's a plot based on the Wikipedia. A homeless drifter, um, well, it says, okay, They Live is a 1988 American science fiction action horror film. Um when a nameless drifter discovers through special sunglasses that the ruling classes are aliens concealing their appearance and manipulating people to consume, breathe, and conform to the status quo via subliminal messages in mass media. Oh, snizzy snaps. So you see what I mean? There's like, there's like, um, and the funny thing about this movie too, this movie was also based off a book, They Live. Mm. So, and actually in one part of the film, a hacker takes over the television broadcast in the film they live, claiming that scientists have discovered signals that are enslaving the population and keeping them in a dreamlike state. Oh, wow. So it's like, I think the Obey shirt is kind of like a head nod to that movie and how there's like similar, like uh, Sam or Ruman, the person who wrote the book, um, Leave the World Behind, might have been influenced by this as well. That was a deep dive. I appreciate that. Like, this is what happens when I can stream a movie, guys. I can really sit with it and actively watch the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, like I like I said, like they're, they're wearing such loud shirts. I'm like, it has to mean something. It has to mean something. Yeah, that makes sense. The costumes always play a pivotal role, a pivotal role in movies because of storytelling. Yeah. And when you have a movie such as this that you can do beyond the book, you can show that Easter eggs and um, the subtleties that only uh, your favorite reviewers want to watch that joint podcast. With you. <laughs> but you know what's funny? I like how um, how snarky Ruth is. She just be getting on Amanda's nerve. She does. Like she um, does. the she next came down to get coffee, right? Yo, and she came at their jobs. Yes. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, what do you do? Oh, I manage relationships. Oh, I never would have guessed that. Yeah, and your husband." <laughs> Yeah, he's a professor of media relations. Huh, I got friends who say that, and I never know what they're talking about. Right, I never know what media studies actually is. Actually is, like. <laughs> and Amanda's like, so what do you do? And she's like, you know, I'm just looking, um, not tying myself down to anything, because the last thing I want to do is, like, tie myself down to a career I hate, and then I'm too old to join the workforce. You know what I mean. <laughs> exactly. No, she, I said uh, this girl's funny. Yeah, and even, like um, her. um, 
George, he comes back to the house because I think he um he comes back to the house. I forget what he was doing. I, I think he might have just woken up. So he comes back to the house and that is when Amanda starts, you know, giving him the third degree and asking him questions because he still doesn't trust him. And I'm trying to see. Yeah, so Ruth, which, yeah, Ruth suggested that hackers attack the power plants. The yeah, Ruth was really interested in power plants. She was really yes. interested in power plants. And she, she thought the situation was serious, right? Um, so she was trying to convey to, hey, man, like, I remember when Amanda said, "Hey, don't tell the kids right yet. Just keep it. Just keep it between the adults." And she just and she said, "Well, that's fine, but I disagree with you. I do think this is something. I do think this is like real, you know." And then yeah. when Clay came in afterwards, right? She was trying to tell Clay what happened, and then Amanda she didn't tell him about the hackers, right? So Ruth, I mean, had to say, "Hey, tell him about the hackers," you know? Yeah. And then I got a quote here. That Ruth was like, don't you always say to Clay, to, uh, to her to her dad, Ruth said to her dad, don't you, um, if you're not paranoid by now, it's, it's probably, probably too late. late. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Right. And I so think, then, I think Rosie understands that too. Rosie. The little girl. Okay. The little white oh, girl. Oh, she, oh, later on in the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But what, so what then, I also thought was funny was, um, uh, like I said, Amanda's giving like George a third degree, trying to figure out where he comes from. And Amanda's like, oh, we live in this neighborhood. And she says it in a way that she thinks the neighborhood is so nice and everything. And exactly. um, George is like, oh, yeah, I like that neighborhood. It's affordable, too. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Ruth was thinking about moving there after exactly. saying that even my daughter, my unemployed student daughter can afford this neighborhood. And Amanda's <laughs> face just kind of dropped like, damn, I thought I was flexing. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, I live in this neighborhood. We live at. And he told him exactly, like, oh, yeah, that's not a good neighborhood. It's affordable. Like, it's affordable. I was like, you really thought you was putting on. He is not impressed with you. But, yeah, impressed. about the power plants. She was really interested in the power plants, too. And, listen, I got something else for you. Let's go. It is called. So, remember she talked about the Three Mile Island accident? Yes, and that was outside of Harrisburg where I used so to So scary, right? Mm-hmm. It was a nuclear meltdown. So they said, according to Wikipedia, the Three Mile Island accident was a partial meltdown of the Three Mile Island Unit 2 reactor on the Susquehanna River mm -hmm. um, in Pennsylvania near the capital of Harrisburg. Yep. It began at 4 a.m. on March 28, 1979 and released radioactive gases and radioactive iodine, iodine into the environment. It is the worst accident in U.S. commercial nuclear power plant history. Mm. On the seven-point logarithmic international nuclear event scale. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Scary stuff. I kind of worry about mom and dad. They live near Limerick and near a power plant. Yeah, but. power plants are typically safe. They After that meltdown, they're typically safe and they're clean. Mm. You know, all, they do, all they do is produce steam. Yeah. So... Yeah. But even the love bug accident is another thing that the director or Arthur throws into the movie. Remember the love bug, which is two yes. kids. And it's just like they keep throwing things at you. So you never really know what's happening. And mm -hmm. all all of it makes sense. So you're like, it could be this. It could be that. And like I said, like it, he, the Arthur, the director, well, this movie is not focused on certainty. 
And when I came to accept that, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was the suspense part of it, is that you did not know what was going on. Yeah, the but at first... didn't know what was going on. But you, at you first didn't run, you, you didn't... You didn't feel dissatisfied by that the first time you seen the movie? Mm-mm. Really? Because I was like, I watched a whole bunch of buildup for no payoff. That's how I felt. Mm. Mm. But when I, I watched the director interview, that's when I learned to appreciate, okay, enjoy, enjoy the journey, not the destination. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. No, I agree. I agree. So, um, George... And we're still in part two, right? The curve. We're still in part two. What right? do you think it means by the curve? What do you think that means? So he explains it. The curve. They do. Oh, he you're right. Yeah. The curve. Okay. Um. So he is really concerned about his wife. Yeah, Maya. Because Maya, because Maya, his wife, is an art dealer. She's going to be flying in art dealer. She's going to be flying in from Casablanca. Casablanca. Right? Um, okay. And they haven't heard anything from her. There's even a scene where he shows that he texted her a bunch of times and she does, doesn't reply, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing about the movie, too. Um, I remember uh, Ruth says to George, he's like, what did she say? She said, um, does it feel like mom is gone? Mm. Yeah. And he didn't answer it. But I think later on in the movie, it he he answers it. And he shows that he it does feel like she's gone. She's exactly. really gone. Exactly. Um. So, so yeah. So, that that whole scene, the curve, right? It kind of, it picked up tremendously. So, as soon as, as soon as the conversation ended, right? Clay decides. Wait, wait. Are you going to explain what, what the curve is? It's later on. I'm explaining. Oh, it. okay, okay, okay. Yep. So, as soon as the <laughs> conversation happened about the the love bug and they talk about the hack is just a bunch of, a couple of kids it'll be costly he said but he think the hack is harmless clay he goes out and he tries to find a newspaper or a person or something who knows what's going on okay right? so as clay's driving up he gets lost and he sees um this spanish woman on the side of the road and she's panicking yeah right? she's freaking out that was she's really scary out. Um, There's something really scary about, I guess, the uncertainty of someone seeming absolutely terrified and frantic, but you have no idea what they're talking about. So it's haunting. I, I actually live with a Spanish-speaking woman. Yeah, I know. I was like, I, I was going to look it up, and I was like, James already asked Eileen. I don't have to look anything up. Yes. And I was so, trying to get the mood of what she was saying without looking it up, but yes. I want to know what she said. <laughs> so she was like, "Thank God I found someone." And she's trying to find her way back home. She got lost for a very long time. She asks to use Clay's phone and says that she just saw a plane that was flying really low and she needs to get out of there. Mm. She saw more than 50 deer and begs that he takes her with him. But Clay doesn't understand any of this and leaves her alone in the fields. Right. And So exactly what never, they see later on. Yeah, exactly what they see later on. And this is another instance that we suck at talking to strangers, mm-hmm. right? And I made reference to that book earlier, but this is, in my opinion, I, I literally just listened to the audio book last week. It's our inability to communicate or to understand who someone is without like knowing, knowing them. Knowing them. 
you know, and he and Clay, right? We what we what do we know about Clay? We already know that he's a default the truth type person. We already know that he's uh, he's charismatic, right? He has a propensity to like women, right? He's charming, right? He's like for the most part that we know, honest. And this is a woman in need, panicking, and he can't decide from the interaction if to trust her or not, to take her or not. And if my opinion, if Clay doesn't, no one, no one does. If Clay is the best, like, people person in this example of society, not more than George. I think George would have taken her. Maybe George, but I think I think all these people kind of represent different facets of society, mm-hmm. right? All, each individual character, right? Um, and I think if Clay is the positive, outgoing, sociable, and he's like, uh, you don't speak my language. I don't really understand what you're saying. Like, I got stuff to do. I got to get away from here. He just knew something was wrong and just pulled off and left her. And ultimately, he knows that he left her to die. He left her to die. Because what else is he going to do? Because he got lost himself. And he got lost, drove around miles and miles and couldn't find anything around there. He knew that she was basically left to die. So I want to get into that because at that period, there's a lot of different things happening. And I yeah. feel like they all mirror each other. Yeah. But I want to ask you personally, would you let Salvadora, that's her name, mm-hmm. in the car with you? If so Aileen wasn't I, there, just you. I probably would because you know why? Because she's so I scared. Probably, because she reminds me of like that. Like, basically, since marrying my wife, um, I have a, a heart. More of an affinity towards more affinity Spanish speakers. Spanish speakers, especially older Spanish women because of my mother. Yeah. So because yeah. of that, I would just think I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't leave Miss Josie out. On the, like, like I would want someone to go get her. So I would just go, I would just go get her and then we'll figure it out. But also knowing my situation, knowing I have someone who can help translate when I get to the crib or, you know what I mean? will be helpful. But having, I don't know. I would, I would have hoped because I have the affinity. <laughs> DQ said, absolutely not. <laughs> 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 DQ said no. DQ said no. He'll be like, adios. He didn't, real, going, he didn't even debate it. I asked him, he literally answered me within a nanosecond. Like, <laughs> no. I was like, I'd like to think that I would, but it's hard to tell. I don't know what's going on. There's too much uncertainty, even though you look absolutely petrified. Like, I, it was so sad when, like, she was running after the car after him like asking him to stop and like at one point she just she looked miserable she looked so it but I was like girl I don't know what the hell I can't I I don't know I would like to think I'll let her in a car but if I didn't I I get it I get it yeah but um you know there's there's a lot of things happening uh so George Clay Rosie and Archie are all outside of the house kind of exploring. And they're having their own dramatic, traumatic arc. They're having their own traumatic arc trying to figure out what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, Ruth, not Ruth, Rosie is like, Archie, these deers are freaking weird. Like, Mm -hmm. they're standing around here, like, staring at me. So they go into the woods, and they find a shed, and Archie decides to be a dick. Exactly, and tried to scare her. And was like, oh, some guy is sleeping here and watching you sleep. Which I did quite kind of question, what was that impression 
in the shed. Well, you, you know what I mean? You never are going to get a straight answer. <laughs> You're never, it's, it's just kind of like, you know, they're all trying to make sense of their situation, but there's bits and pieces of every situation that makes sense. So you never know what the real threat is. Because when he said, you know, when he said, you know, a part of me was like, he's just messing with her. Then, like you said, I saw the pressure and I was like. He didn't make that up. What's going on? What's going, what's on? going on? But um, and then you have George who goes to his neighbor's house, the Huxley's, and their entire lawn is in a disarray. There's just like a whole a, bunch of debris everywhere. Looked like a tornado hit it. Looked like a tornado came through. It looked, you know, what's so funny. The first time I went to Erie, we passed this trap house and it looked like that. Mm. <laughs> that house looked crazy. Literally, there was. It looked like the house got exploded from the inside, like it imploded mm. from the inside. I was like, "Eerie, wild!" Like, get me out of here. But um, <laughs> eerie PA. But um, yeah. So that's what it looks like, and it's just like he goes to the freaking beach and sees a dead pilot who I thought was Pete Davidson, and I don't feel bad about it because that man looks like he's been dead for six months. <laughs> I thought that was him. That's hilarious. I thought that was him. And he I just, just imagine you know, Pete Davidson eating a taco in the sound like, mm, like the Taco Bell yo, commercial. <laughs> I actually really like that Taco Bell commercial where he's like doing a news forecast in Taco Bell. Yeah. And the customer <laughs> asks, like, what is this? And he was like, I don't know. That commercial gets me each and every time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and he be- before he even sees the freaking plan, you know, he tries to find a satellite phone. The satellite phone isn't working. He goes to the beach, and this is this is a dream like nightmarish tone that I'm getting from this movie. It was terrifying when he saw, just like the boat, when he saw that plane coming. Plane. Oh my god! And that I'm was, that's again, more terrifying than a boat. It is. See, the plane see, was faster. <laughs> Right, because think about it. you see a plane wreckage, and you're like, "Oh my God, what happened here? A plane fell out the sky. Your wife is in the sky, mm-hmm. and then you just see another plane just turn around, kamikaze in you, careening you know? towards you. Just like, and you just sit there like, "Oh crap, I have to run." There was no he way he barely, and run on sand. Running on sand is so hard. Exactly, running it's on so sand, hard. And but it he even, barely closed the door behind. Yeah, that behind that him. how the way the camera kind of like shot that didn't it feel like a dream to you? Like the fact, like, like I don't know, the camera kind of shot as if he was chasing the camera, and then you just see him. You see him open a door, but you don't see the outside facade of the house. You just see him come into the house and close the door behind him, and it kind of felt like a dream to me. It kind of felt like you know how sometimes in dreams, you're changing environments so rapidly in a way that you don't understand. Your brain can't process it, so it doesn't put all the pieces there. Like, or then you saw his door and the windows. You you don't recognize that. Oh, there's a whole house. Yeah. In. No, you're right. Like when you ever try to explain the dream, it's kind of like, okay, I was at school, but I was also in my car at the same exactly. time. It's that's or, what it or seemed people, like. Or people shift in your dream. I was talking to my mom, but then it turned to granny. Then it turned to mm-hmm. like my boss. Yeah. You know, just like just 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 it's just so fluid and vivid. So I know what you mean. And one thing, and I'm like, it has it's giving me a dream like quality because how is a debris breaking the windows but it's not breaking down the door exactly and that, that's what i thought too when i know when they first uh when he first got to the house i don't think any of the debris made sense mm-hmm. right um like there was like a branch that was broken that made it seem like the first plane it would have came 
basically flying inland and crashed on the beach versus okay. flying from the ocean and then landed on the beach, like the, just the direction it was flying to. Mm. And then the door was just unlocked. Why would the door be unlocked? I you Well, know? the family evacuated. The Huxleys, they evacuated the house, so I don't think they'll be worried about locking the door behind them. Oh, so you think the first crash happened and they were like, we out, and then left. Oh, you think the crash happened when they were inside the house? I think that no one really lives in that town. I think all those houses are justification homes that they rent out. Oh, that is what he said. Time. That is what he said. He said, yeah, they probably won't be there because no one's here during this season because it's the off season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Off season. Oh, oh, so you're saying maybe another family was staying there. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, maybe another family was renting he, out the Huxley's home. Maybe, but he went and he checked out the satellite phones. He realized the satellite phones don't work. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, so I have a lot of survivalists at my job. And survivalists. Doomsday preppers. Doomsday preppers. Is to get yourself a sat phone. Because as long as you have direct view of the sky, that phone should work. Right? Do you it's have one? It's than the radio signal. No, I don't. You should get one. Um, I'm going to start doomsday this prepping. Movie, exactly. This movie made me aware that I am grossly underprepared for anything more than a blackout yeah for more than an hour grossly underprepared yeah um so then time out clock it what were you saying so we forgot that archie got bit in the woods walking back he got bit by a tick or a leech right? yeah what's the, that they, was an ominous because he didn't he didn't feel well almost immediately after that Archie cracks me up, yo. Um, He's so funny. You thought he was funny? I thought he was just an a-hole. He is, but it's funny. Like, um, when they're still in the shed, which I'm starting to think is Maya's shed because later on in the film, when Amanda and Ruth are in the film, I see some paint splatter on the wall. So I'm like, maybe this is where Maya went to go do art? You never know. You never know. But um, uh, Rosie looked out the window to the house no, no. Rosie saw another house, the house that she ends up in at towards the end of the film. And she's like, we should go there. And Archie's just like, no, no, fuck no, I'm hungry. Let's go. Like, he's just, <laughs> <laughs> he's just funny to me. He's just funny to me. Like, every time, he's just always shooting her down. Like, Rosie's like, no one cares what I say. And he's like, yeah, no one cares what you say. Yeah, but like I said, right. that's why I feel like, yeah, maybe you're right. I was like, I feel like she's a warning. We don't. Like, I don't know who said it, but someone said this movie is a warning that we, if it's anything, you should see this movie as a warning. And I think Rosie is that warning personified and people don't pay attention to warnings until it's too late. So. Yeah. So speaking of warnings, this is why this part is called the curve. Okay. Oh, we so finally, George, even though we're on part three right now, then no, no. No, this, this is the end of part two. Okay. Okay. So George. He says that he knew something was coming for a while before the cyber attack. Okay. Right. So George is in the finance industry, right? Most likely he manages mutual funds or some type of property equity funds. Um, But he learned how to read the curve, which means that he used financial matrix to read and predict the market and chaos in major events. I do remember. So basically, right. And he said that he believes the hackers knocked out the satellites and that he admit hearing, seeing planes fall off the sky, right? Um, so the curve, going back to that point, um, 
in history, right? I remember this movie we watched about the housing, the housing crisis, right? The housing bubble that crashed in 2008, right? And this movie was basically, I think it's also on Netflix. I forget what it's called, right? Um, he, he, uh, I guess let me find a movie. But basically, let's see, uh, housing. Crash, crash of 2008, 2008. Movie on Netflix. It was called uh, The Big Short, right? So The Big Short is on Netflix right now, right? This guy, he read the curve. He could see that basically banks were giving out loans that to very low um, income credit people? score oh. and low income people. He, oh. They were giving out like $300,000 loans to people who made like- That sounds like a predatory a loan. A credit score of 500, but it wasn't. Anyone just oh. gave a loan. The, the credit card, the banks was like, give loans to everybody and um, basically they'll pay it because who, who doesn't pay their mortgage? And he was able to predict that the mortgage, that the, the housing industry would fail and that he predicted that the company, that the, the, the country and our GDP would lose trillions of dollars. And he betted against it ahead of time. And when they actually failed, he was able to read the curve. He made billions of dollars for his companies mm. and billions of dollars based mm. on people losing their pensions, their livelihood, mm. their houses. So watching market trends is a real thing, mm. right? Because the, the market trends, like obviously people can go into it too much and lose money. But that's what he said is that he could, he learned how to read the curve and saw that there was different things trending that something big was going to happen. He couldn't say what or when, but he wasn't surprised when something big happened. Yeah. So some questions I got though, right? Is this is the morning after a national cyber attack. Why the heck are planes in the sky? Why are planes, why aren't the planes immediately grounded? That was my question. You would know right. better than me. Right. So basically like when not James happened, works, you works where, where you work at an air force. <laughs> I work at air force base. So when not 11, because the only thing I would happened. think about is that this poor communications between the control towers and the pilots, I'm guessing. I don't I'm know. Guessing, but, but basically meaning the crashes would happen immediately because no air traffic controls to get them to get them down, but no, no, no one so. should be flying a, a 12 hours after. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that happened in that scene was just that, that terrible, super high pitch ringing, right. That, uh, that brings us that into part three, the noise, the noise. And it's, it's, it's the, it's the thing that finally wakes Amanda up. Amanda still doesn't believe anything bad is happening <laughs> until that ringing happens. Yeah. And then she goes and I think she believes it. I don't, I don't think she wants to believe something bad is happening. Because she doesn't want to believe George. Because mm. something bad's happening and George is right. Because and like you said, she's the, she's the, she's the, what's that ever type of person? She's a skeptic. It's, is a default to truth? She's a de default to lies. Default to lies. <laughs> he, she doesn't, default she does to not deception. default the truth. Okay. Yes. She does not default the truth. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So the the noise comes, which I you know, you you don't really know what it is. Oh, we forgot. So 
And I think, what was it, in, uh, in part two, when Clay was driving through the town trying to find a newspaper and he oh, meets that yeah, Spanish-speaking yeah, yeah. woman, all those flyers fall. Mm-hmm. That would have been so terrifying. That would have. That I was. I was like, "What is that?" Not knowing what it is is the scariest part about it. It's like, oh, they're just yeah, flyers, the dr- but it's like I don't know what it is that's falling. Like, yeah, the drone was basically in dropping tens of thousands of flyers. Yeah, all across the sky, and and they, they do that it, during wartime. They do propaganda. They've been yeah. doing it since the since we had airplanes since, since World War One. Yeah, we were dropping propaganda down. I remember and during the Oppenheimer review. Um, I heard one of the the justifications mm. for bombing either Hiroshima and Nagasaki was that the U.S. did drop warnings from the sky letting people know something was going to happen, but people argued that the warnings were not clear. Mm. And they may, I, I, yeah. this, I'm not sure, but they may not have been in Japanese, but yeah. Yeah, but, but basically Archie saw it, and apparently he pays Call of Duty or something. Yeah. And saw that it's in Arabic or or to death for he, America. I think he said the symbol. Yeah, yeah, death to America. And it did look like Arabic, but, you know, when we go, yeah, we, we don't really know what's happening. And the noise is the shortest chapter. Um, it is. But, but one thing that, um, yeah, that that's the point that really, I feel like it drew people together. Like, I think... That's like you said, when Amanda starts to accept that this is really happening and she starts to accept George. She still hates Ruth, but she's coming around a little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then. Yeah. So after after the no- in, in the noise, Archie complains that his head feels weird and uh, he gets sick. He starts yeah. like getting fevers, Yeah. you know. And uh, Amanda, she still doesn't believe that George doesn't know what's really behind it. Behind, like be behind everything that's happening. Well, I think she, I think she right. asks him. Does she say at one point like, "What's going on?" Like, I, you know, something you're not telling me. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that's what he explained to Kurt. Yeah. Right. And then, so they ultimately they they get sick of it after the noise happened, and they tried to leave and head to their sisters in New Jersey. Yeah. And one key part that I saw was George tried to stop them. He did, and Ruth said, "Let them go," and I'm like. I'm with Ruth. Do you think George is getting a little bit too invested in them? I think he, I think it's a few things. One, I think he's a good person. Two, I also think that he believes that their survival is more, that they can help each other out. So their survival has a higher probability if they all work together? Yes, because think about it, right? If it was just George... And Ruth, him and his daughter, right? That just means it's just him for the most part. He has to figure out what to do. He has to, not that he was uh, like avoiding that that responsibility, but like having a whole never couple, a whole never family there, you know, just another thing to kind of help you stabilize what's happening or understand what's happening. It probably was a comfort. They're like, oh, it's not, I'm just not by myself. Yeah. You know, and yeah. also George had a feeling that something big was going on. So he didn't want them to leave because he thought they wouldn't make it. He thought they wouldn't come back. Yeah. So, so are you going to buy a Tesla? Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. So that was that was crazy how yeah. how they hacked all the Teslas and basically blocked all the roads off. 
So to stop people from leaving the cities. So if you guys don't know, Teslas have a self-pilot function where the car can pretty much drive itself like we're in freaking iRobot. And I don't know, hackers or whoever it may be, because I'm like, now I'm confused. Because after what happened with Archie and him getting beat bit by that tick or I don't know, I'm like, is this biological warfare now? Like, what's going on? Is it like, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so apparently all the Teslas were hacked and Teslas on different dealerships, probably for miles, miles and miles, were hacked into, so they drove and they literally created this barricade on the freeway of all these backed up Teslas. And Amanda and her family almost got hit by one of them. And I was like, what is going mm-hmm. on? This is this is ridiculous. Like, this is yeah, crazy. Yeah, that was terrifying. And she yeah. had to basically just do Tokyo Drift. And <laughs> she had to play some Mario Kart real quick to get out of there. Yep. But. And you know what? They, they went right back to their house. Uh-huh. That was kind of funny, too. Just like, yeah, we here again. <laughs> hey, guys. You going to let us in? Hey, guys. You can let us in right back to the house. To our house and, and let us sleep in the master bedroom again, exactly. even though we established this is no longer a rental property anymore. Exactly. Let them uh, go sleep in the master bedroom. And then, and so part four is the flood. The flood. Right. So, and what, what do you think about the name the flood immediately? So, I think uh, the Bible. The Bible. You think of an apocalyptic flood. Um, mm-hmm. Especially since, you know, we've seen the flamingos in the pool out of nowhere. Yep. I'm thinking Noah's Ark, the deer are acting weird. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about that. Yeah, about Noah's Ark, the Bible. But one thing that, um, so, what were you saying? No, I, no, you can go. You go. One thing that I, um, that DQ pointed out, actually, he said that there's one point in the film where, um, George encourages Amanda to have a drink with him and Ruth encourages um, Clay to smoke with her. And he was like, there's something about them trying to get the white people intoxicated. Like, what's that about? Mm. And I'm like, there, that is a constant theme, well, thing that happens in this movie. Like, Ru- like as soon as George came to the house, he made a drink. Um, in the morning... The next morning when he's talking about the the love bug, he's, like, stirring his coffee. Um, there's this one scene. The scene starts off with um, Clay waking up Amanda with a glass of water. And I'm just like, I wonder what this emphasis on drinking has to do with the movie. Like, maybe Probably it's a calmness. sort of calmness and, like, sedating yourself because you don't. You're drinking the Kool-Aid, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to really come to terms with what's happening. I don't know. That's yeah. That I, might be a stretch. Absolutely, because because um, <clears throat> uh, when Ruth goes and smoke weed with Clay, mm-hmm. she finds the weed because she's stressed about her mom. Mm-hmm. Poor baby. Right? I feel and so she, bad for Ruth. Yeah, she has no time to even grieve her mom. No, no, it's so sad. Right. So so she just goes and she's And like, she also sneaks her smokes. You saw where she kept her vape pen. She kept it in that room in a box in a closet. So she smokes in private exactly. too. Exactly. It, but the thing is, right, she doesn't go smoke weed with a teenager, which is also interesting. She doesn't right? go with Archie. 
She doesn't go with Archie. Okay. She goes and she finds Clay. Okay. Why? Because Archie was creepy. He took pictures and was jerking off to her. And she knew Archie took creepy pictures. Of her in her bikini. Right? Amanda, was a sp- Amanda was a spaz. Yeah. The little girl, all she cares about is that screen. So only person she could go to was Clay. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and, and I guess it's, it's she talks. knows that he smoked. So, well, I don't know. I don't know if she know. Maybe she didn't know, but I I assumed because she knew that he smoked too. So she's like, let's smoke together. She could have she she could have saw him smoking outside or something. Yeah, yeah but I guess I never thought about that. It's like you know, kids love vape pens. Why don't you go with Archie? Well, maybe because maybe Clay. Well, no, she did say. I was like, maybe Clay is the only person who didn't freak her out. But she did say to her father later on that Clay absolutely wants to fuck her. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like I said, like that sort of fake feminist, he, uh, she told her father, Ruth told her father, she was like, he definitely wants to sleep with me. And he looked concerned. And she was like, he's not going to try anything. He's not that guy. But does he want to? Absolutely. And it's just like, yeah. you know, he's not going to make the first move. But things come to him easily. Women make the first move because he's like more like passive, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's one. DQ did say that. So... Yeah, and w- the thing that I thought was interesting is George's and Amanda's conversation inside. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And they're so they're having a drink, and Amanda's like, oh, I'm warming up to you. I was so rude to you. You know what I mean? She's basically her way of apologizing for the situation because George has showed a lot of grace of letting him back in the house. And he tells a story of how... Um, he hangs out with his very rich friend, his client, his friends, his client, right? His client in the con- in the government contracting, right? Basically, the type of work that I do. And he basically said, I wrote it down. Um, he tells a story of how a rich client jokes about the evil cabal that secretly runs the world. The Illuminati. Right. The Illuminati. Right. And he says that. And then, so he was joking, and then uh, Amanda got up to get a glass of wine, and he grabs her hand. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that was, like, the first, like, this is serious. Yeah. Sit back down. Yeah. And he's, like, he calls her out the blue yesterday and asks him to move a crap ton of money around. His client calls George out of the blue yesterday. Normally, you have appointments, yep. and he just Normally calls him. appointments. And he says, I need you to move a lot of money around and to take care of yourself. Right. And he said that he believes that his client got a hint. He got a heads up that something was going down. Get out of Dodge. Right. That whatever, whoever saw the curve, you know, something was going down. Get out of Dodge. And that heads up um, because of his mannerisms and he didn't joke. When he says, oh, you go, you go see the evil cabal or, or whatever, and he didn't say anything. He just says, take care of yourself. Yeah, like that's he felt alert- sorry for me. Yes, and that's what alerted George. I have to get out of New York City, and I needed to go to my house out in the woods where no one's at. And that's why he went there that night. And then she said, she was like, Amanda clarified. She was like, so you think it's this evil society running the world? He was like, no, it's not that simple. We don't. Mm-hmm. The, what I think it is that we have no control over anything. The best exactly. that the best that we can do is get a heads up. Exactly. So exactly. You know and what that I mean? is, and that is terrifying. You know, is what right? is what will happen with global warming. Think about don't look up. Yeah. Like 
it's gonna if global warming is going to affect the poorest communities first, and the best thing that the rich can do is use their money to go live on Mars or something. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's it's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. So then, what do you think about them going up and dancing to the jazz music and everything, and getting drunk and hugging and everything? Man, it's it's like I said, it's like um. The, once again, what 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 part is this? Is this still this, this is still the this flood? Is still part four, the flood. Yes. Okay, so. The yeah, so, that I'm a jump. I'm a jump ahead to come back in part five. I noticed that the piece, the art piece changes again. Mm. The art piece changes again. And now it seems like the white seems to have taken over the black a little more. Or, yeah, it, it's more white than black. Like, the colors look a little more ingle, intermingled, but there's more white than black. So what I think this means, like we said, Maya, George's wife, was an art dealer, right? And... Um, when Amanda and George were talking, they, you know, he kind of put her in a bad mood. So they went to the library, played Too Close by Next. Mm-hmm. Like, um, girl, the way we grinding, I'd be so excited. The, I don't know the song. but And I think that's a perfect song because it literally you portrays the barrier coming down between them. Mm-hmm. And they're becoming closer physically and mentally closer to one another. And the next morning, I see that... The paint, the the art piece has changed again. And like I said, it looks like there's more white than black. And what I think that means is that Amanda is slowly replacing Maya. Because mm-hmm. when they were slow dancing to Too Close by Next in the library, you know, and they, they got they got too close and they thought they were going to cross the line. Um, George admits that he doesn't think he's ever going to see Maya again. Yeah. Like he thinks she's gone. So I I think that was symbolic showing that they are really connected now. And I think that's why George goes so hard for Archie later on in mm. part five. But yeah, what did you think about it? Um, so I thought it was a little awkward. I thought that one. First one, I thought it was a little awkward too. Because I was like, yeah. like I said, I didn't understand the music choices. I was like, this music is so disorienting like it's just it's jarring but yeah like well it takes you out of it it takes you out Aileen was like this is weird yeah and they're and they're dancing weird kind of like I don't know it was no she was dancing weird he was dancing dancing fine he was grooving (laughs) yeah he was grooving she she was kind of dancing like um like Wednesday off of Wednesday she wasn't dancing that well she was dancing like Elaine from Seinfeld yes exactly yeah just just weird and awkward and everything. And I never was a Julia Roberts fan, to be honest with you. Because she looks like a foot? She looks like a foot. The family guy. That's reference. what family yes. guy said. Because <laughs> she looks like a foot. Yeah, she's like, she looks like a foot. But, um, but yeah, so, no, I thought it was a little awkward. And I was like, like, I don't know. Maya was gone, obviously. And uh, I just thought it was unfortunate because, obviously. Uh, <gasps> what if it was Maya sleeping in the Joel- shed? Like, no. you never know. You never know with this movie. That's what the impression was. It was Maya, and she's watching from afar, seeing if her husband's <laughs> going to cheat on her. She's trying to catch him. Say no. Oh, no. I told you there was paint on the no, shed no. walls. There were paint on the shed walls. Yeah, but continue. But, but yeah, no, I thought I thought it was uh, it was obvious that he was 
This is the first time he kind of let his stress show. Because the whole, the whole time, he was Mr. Calm, Cool, and Collected. And sexy. He knew what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so when he was sitting there dancing, he just sat down and was like, you'll see Maya again. He was like, no, I won't. Yeah. Right? And that was just finally his, like, ugh. And then the noise happened again. Yeah. It happened you know, again. The noise happened again. Yeah. So then later on that night, they're in bed. And this is why it's called The Flood. Rosie basically is talking about, I thought it was The Wire, but some show that she watched. No. And how, and how they, uh, they were West Wing. It was called West Wing. Not The Wire, it was West Wing. Oh, speaking of bed, I'm, I'm going to go back to this really quickly, really quickly. West Wing, it was West Wing, yeah. I told you it was like House of Cards. Um, like, like you know, the the White House sort of thing. But um, what mm-hmm. was I saying? Remember when, um, yeah, like I said, that the second night, um, George and Ruth are still in the basement. And Ruth pretty much says that. She said, I need you to promise me that when things go wrong, when the doo-doo hits the fan, we have our we have each other's backs. Like we, you know, that we, we trust can't these trust people. these white people. Do you agree with her? Mm-hmm. I think one hundred percent. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Right, and I think, and I think he didn't agree with her. He agreed that they would be together. He didn't agree he with her. Agreed. Well, he well he 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 went and and she said I'm scared, so he slept with her that night. Mm-hmm. But like they shared, shared the bear with her. Rather. <laughs> Yeah, but like, I don't know. He he was more so pro people. Yeah, and but my thing is, remember what George said. He said, "The most frightening thing, the most frightening person I ever mm-hmm. encounter is a person who refuses to learn." And it's like George, yeah. you're kind of like that because it's like what Danny said later on. His um, the person played by Kevin Bacon, the doomsday prepper neighbor that we saw at the grocery store that we thought was Clay. He says later on, he's like, yep. listen, what did he say? He says, um, um, when the world doesn't make sense, I can still do what's rational, which is to protect my own. And I'm like, yep. George, you failing to adapt to the change in times. And like Danny said, you know, we've all been deserted. And you need to be focused about your people. That's what's going to get you killed. Yeah, and yeah. I know. Even, I know. I see the opposite. Ruth said that. Yeah, Rufus. Exactly. She said that same exact thing. And it's like, yeah, man, because you don't. I don't trust these people. I don't trust them. Protect your own. But um, yeah, you were saying that um, back to Rosie and her conversation about the West Wing when she was lying in bed. Yeah, she was basically telling the story about the boat. About how it was this a great flood. flood. Yeah. And basically this uh it was a news report of a flood and the guy was like, God loves me, I'm not gonna leave. And then a guy came up on a boat after his house was flooded and tried to rescue him. No, I'm not gonna leave. God's gonna save me. And then a helicopter comes and try to save him and he says, No, I'm not gonna leave. God's gonna save me. And the guy drowns. And he wakes up to heaven and he's mad and he's like why God, didn't you save I me? I prayed God? every day. Why didn't you save me? He was like, I gave you a warning. I send you a boat. I send you a helicopter. What else do you want? Mm-hmm. Right? And it's actually kind of crazy because, like, the Bible says warning comes before destruction. Does right? it? Basically. I didn't know yeah, that was biblical. Mom, I thought that was just a, 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 I don't know why I can't think of the word for it. 
mom says it all the time. Like, uh, like yeah, mom says it all the time. Warning comes before destruction. I think it's called warning comes before the fall, right? Mm. And uh, Rosie was like, I don't want to wait anymore. I think I'm done waiting. Yeah. I think I'm done waiting. Because basically you just, like, you know, and even even Amanda said, "What we're just here as sitting ducks mm-hmm. waiting to get shot, right? Mm-hmm. And he felt their inaction was going to ultimately cause someone to find him or something to happen, and now they have to stand their ground or something. We need to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, the night ended, and they showed... Archie the, wakes the up. confused me. Well, no, the, the scene before that, the, the transition, they show a lot of transitions, sometimes satellites or the plane, but in this particular transition. It was an eclipse. It showed, it was uh, it was the eclipse and the, and the moon, the, the U.S. flag on the moon. Oh, they showed the, the right. moon landing flag. And the, maybe yes, they mean, the maybe it mean it's up for America. <laughs> a new dawn <laughs> is not, it, it seemed. a new day is not dawning on America <laughs> or the world. Exactly. It seemed like, it seemed like the end of the country, right? Mm-hmm. Because the flag was iced and frozen over. It wasn't waving. Obviously, there's no, there's no air. Mm-hmm. But it was just like dark and morbid and just like, this is what America used to be. Mm-hmm. This is where America came from. The greatest, uh, one of the greatest achievements is getting a person on the moon. One of the greatest achievements in American history. <laughs> oh, my God, no. One of the greatest <laughs> no, achievements I believe in it. American just... history. <laughs> um, is is now from that to we're being cyber attacked and, ha- and hacked. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the last one, part five. So Archie wakes up and I literally had this nightmare probably like 500 times when my teeth are just falling out. Exactly, all the time. I had it so often that I, I emailed a dream interpreter years ago and they said that your teeth falling out may be a sign of you not really saying what you want to say. That's how I see it as. And I'm kind of thinking about Archie. I'm like, okay, Archie, he's an asshole, but I wonder if that's just a facade and he's too much of a, I don't know, of a toxic male to admit that he's also scared and to have honest conversations with his little sister and like actually be a good, comfortable little older brother. But that's just me going off the the cusp. Yeah, it was when he first woke up, like your dream theme made sense, too, because mm-hmm. when he woke up and started pulling his teeth out, I thought he was asleep. I'm like, is this a dream? Is yeah, just real? multiple times. His teeth just coming out one by. You had that dream before, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. Right. And then um, his his mom and his his foul, his dad is dreaming like, what are you doing? Stop. Yeah. He's like, I don't know what's happened to me. Yeah. And he looks so ugly with all his bits and teeth. Yeah, he was <laughs> a handsome kid, but and now he got like these red splotches on his face. He don't got no teeth. He's all sweaty. I'm like, ill George. Ill George, not his name. Ill Archie. So, so then they go and they panic and they, they figure out that, hey, you know, we need to go and get some medicine because this kid, he got bit by Lee today. Maybe he's it's vomited blood. He's vomiting blood. Something yeah. has to give. And they also realize that Rosie is gone. She's, yeah, Rosie, she's she flew the coop. <laughs> she wasn't. She said, I'm <laughs> she done waiting. And y'all didn't listen to her. <laughs> she said, I think I'm done exactly. waiting. That was the warning right there. And, and next morning, where's exactly. Rosie? She told y'all niggas, I'm out. She told you, I'm out. 
I ain't staying here no more. I'm going to Jersey with auntie. I'm gone. I'm going to go find friends in them. I'm going to go find Rachel and Ross. <laughs> exactly. Matthew Perry, go rest find in peace. Ross and Rachel. RIP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um so, yeah, um, and I felt so so yeah, they went to they decided to go get some medicine and I felt so bad for Ruth once again because she's pleading with her father. Please don't mm-hmm. leave. And I would feel the same way. I was like, how Please could you leave me? Go. How could you leave me mm-hmm. for these people who won't reciprocate the kindness and consideration that you're showing them? So I have my notes here. Why did he leave Ruth? Why not just bring her with him? And then later on, while watching the scene and saw what happened, I came to the realization that maybe if he did bring her, she would have got shot by Danny. I feel like he brought her because he didn't. He left her home because he didn't want to leave Amanda by herself. I don't know. I think because he said stay with Amanda and help find Rose. Like I said, the Peyton shows that this white man, this white girl, has infiltrated the blackness. This white woman. So I think he's. I think he's still. He putting Amanda above her. I I don't think that. Mm. What I think what happened is that because think about it, right? He grabbed the gun. He, he went over there with the gun, right? He knows Danny is um, paranoid. I can. I feel like everyone in paranoid. Oklahoma is like that. He, yes, there's a lot of Danny's in Oklahoma. <laughs> there's a lot of Danny's. Right? He knows Danny is paranoid. You befriend um, Danny right now. He knows that he's a, exactly. He knows he's a cowboy fan, right? So he knows he has bad morals. Right, right. If you're a Cowboys fan, you don't care about nobody but yourself. You don't care about nobody. You're not an upright citizen. So he brings the gun. So he brings the gun with him. And he wouldn't do that unless he was anticipating some type of confrontation. And him anticipating some type of confrontation, and he knew he had to do that. It's hard to do that with your daughter, who tends to kind of be loud and say whatever she wants with you in that situation. So you think he was protecting her? You know, I think he was protecting her. And I think he, he knew that if anything goes down. Oh, I think he said that. I think it's not safe. He did say that. He said it's not safe. Stay here or something like that. Yes. And if he went and he had to physically take that medicine, because I think he was prepared to. If he had to go and physically take it. Because why would you put yourself in harm's way so you're not there for your daughter, for this boy? He was putting himself in more harm than um, Clay was at first for Archie. He did. He did. He did. Something in him changed, right? Where he was like, um, there's so. So. Okay. Yeah, part five, so the last part one. Part five jumps in it. Yes, it part, it jumps in and out of different perspectives, right? Which is the instant, which is the interesting way how they kind of conclude the movie. I like how the way they did it, right? So the three perspectives is basically, um, um, Ruth and Amanda. It's Danny, who's the Cowboys fan, Clay, and uh, George. George with Archie. Archie. And then eventually it's uh, the little girl, Rosie, by herself. Mm-hmm. Right. And all these different perspectives are happening at the same time. Right. So with. Danny, so the men's perspective, right? They were, so he comes, he comes to Danny's house and he has a house not as nice as what George has, not as modern, but still a nice estate, 
and he goes and knocks on the door. Danny, like, basically peeks out, and he's like, what do you want? I need you to step off my stoop, right? And instantly, that makes raised the flag to The George tonal shift was crazy. Apparently, they were friends. The shift, and the, the dude did work on his house. He was his contractor. He was his friend. You know, they... they they at least had some sort of friendliness with him. Some sort of rapport. And he's like, Danny, what are you doing? It's me. Yeah, this is me. And then, like you said, that quote earlier is that when crap hits the fan, I got to protect mine. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was like, well, his son is dying. He's 16. He needs medicine. Do you? Uh, we know you have some. He was like, don't worry about what I got. <laughs> yes. I said the same thing. Don't worry about what he got. <laughs> or, don't worry about what he got. Yeah. Right? And That's I thought, my I medicine. First, Exactly. Y'all I thought like, I was crazy. Good. Y'all thought I was a tinfoil hat doomsday maniac running around talking about end the days, end the days. Now I got medicine and you don't. And your baby dying. I'm supposed to give my shit up? <laughs> no. Exactly. And he, I thought Danny was justified, like you said earlier. Right? I thought that he had the right because if you was in the same situation, right, someone comes up and asking for your resources, your your non-replenishable resources, you wouldn't just give that up. Not you without a trade. Like, like oh, you yeah, said, we got a barter go. system like they did. Even though they use cash, so it's not really the barter yeah. system, but we got to barter something. I wouldn't tell you to get off my property. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. That's the thing. And if you don't know what's going on, like you say, your neighbor becomes the enemy. When there's no clear enemy you start to fight each other. Exactly, exactly. And that was their conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Their conflict was how do I get this crucial medicine to, and they, they found out that 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 uh, Archie had radiation poisoning. Because That's what they assumed the that he has. Well, they he said, well, basically they said he has radiation poisoning because something similar happened. That's what they Cuba. assume. Oh, hold on. Yeah, but that's what he was treated for. Yeah. I actually, I have a little bit of history about that, too. You want me to read it? About Cuba? Yeah. Or do you, I, I said this to you accidentally. So, yeah, um, I actually have a little bit of information about the the microwave weapons. That's what they call it. So this yeah. is a an article from The Guardian. It says microwave weapons that could cause Havana syndrome exist. So let's see what Havana syndrome is. If I can find it. Havana, na, na, na. Havana. Okay, so, so a senior fellow in biotechnology, biosecurity, and ethics at the U.S. Naval War College was brought in as an advisor by the government in late 2016 after about 2,000 U.S. diplomats began falling sick in Havana. Havana. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay, yeah. So at least 16 U.S. government employees associated with the U.S. Embassy in Havana have suffered inex- unexplained health problems, including hearing loss, that officials could that officials believe could be caused by a covert sonic device. Mm. Um, I think I saw that too, actually. The covert sonic device. Yeah. 
Um, I didn't know it was that recent in 2016. Yeah, I thought it was some type of Cold War type stuff. Yeah. Um, So it said, it became clear that some of the work that was conducted in the formal Soviet Union was taken up again by Russia and its satellite proxies, um, adding that China had also developed direct energy devices to test the structure of various materials with technology which could be adapted to as adapted to weapons. Um, then a second major wave bra- of brain injuries among U.S. diplomats and intelligence officers took place in China in t- 2018. So, yeah, they reference a lot of weird stuff that happens in real life. So, yeah. you yeah, you never really the- know what's going on. Anything is plausible. Anything is plausible, especially nowadays. We don't know what weapons they have out here. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know what weapons we have right now. It's uh, it's literally these countries' priorities to hide the type of technologies that we have. So I'm not really surprised that we have some sort of uh, weapon that you can actually affect someone without physically touching them. Mm-hmm. It's c- kind of crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, so I guess wrapping up. Um, well, before, right? Well, I was just going to, I mean, like, just moving along with the plot, not... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, you can go. You can go. go continue. So, when Amanda and Ruth are basically looking for Rosie, and they find a shed, I believe that Amanda shows her true colors when she starts yelling and blaming Ruth for what's happening. Right. You think she blamed um, Ruth? What did she say? Well, she was essentially just. I don't have the quote of what she said, but she was yelling at her and Ruth was like, stop yelling at me. Right. She was basically this is happening said, I want to all of us, not just this you. Is, this is happening to all of us, not mm-hmm. just you. Then she asked her, why are you like this? What do you get for being so angry all the time? Right. And I feel like there's a lot of people I know who I can ask that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot right? of women who look like her, who look like Amanda. Yeah. Just <laughs> that or also people who look like, other people, right? Just people just grumpy all the time. Mm. And then Amanda goes on to explain that she hates people because she believes that humans, and she didn't say this in, like directly, but she believes that humans are inherently selfish and would do whatever they can to other people in the environment to get what they want. She says that people are selfish and she is also selfish. Um, see, I remember there's one point that she was like, that we basically... Um, steal from the environment but plant some trees and call it all good oh she was like we do all the stuff to the environment but drink from plastic straws and eat free-range chicken and lie to ourselves that everything's going to be okay even though we know better exactly yeah and ruth actually says that she agrees yeah but that it's all we got yeah right and, and i got took that as as a deep meaning and one of the main themes of the movie and i think it's actually a main like tenant of like Obama and how he kind of ran his candidacy, his presidency is that the nature of people, even if it doesn't change, we need to learn how to depend on each other because we don't have a choice. Right. It's basically like we need to start looking after one another because we only got one set of people, you know, and Amanda said that she hates people, but she wished they were more around. And I think that's another thing. Is like she if said she will give anything to have them back. Anything and to have them back. She says she doesn't want to be like this. She doesn't want to be like this. 
Yeah. And and the thing is, is that, you know, when people push people away and like you said, have a, the negative like view that all people are evil and selfish and hateful and you got to become one anyone. of those people. Exactly. You become you don't one of those see them people. as deserving. Yeah, exactly. As the one of the people you hurt, you, you don't have that default, the truth. You don't trust anybody. You're paranoid. You're unable to be happy because you're worried about other people or you're worried about people lying or mistreating your alliance. You know what I mean? So it's it's a miserable way to live. And I feel like Amanda kind of represents that part of that that part of us that think is like that, you know, and it's a, a probably a large portion of society. Yeah. You know, and I think there was a big shift because well, she she finally let her guard down to Ruth because later on when the deer turned up, when Ruth was alone by the shed, she stopped looking for Rosie to go scream at to go scream at deer. Yeah. With, uh, with with Ruth when they tried to, go... to turn up on her the deer. Exactly. And that's and that's the turning point. I mm. think that's the crux of what the Obamas were getting at the executive producers, right? It is called is that, higher ground production. You know, Michelle said, when they go low, we go high. We go so. high. <laughs> exactly. Right. So Ruth had to go. And I thought that she tried to, um, Ruth had to go and had to like, um, I guess Amanda had to, had to go save her. Mm -hmm. You know, she had to go save her regardless of her differences, regardless of how she see people. She didn't even particularly like Ruth, but like, you, she couldn't let her die, right? Because what else are you going to do? Yeah. You know, like, you, this is all we got. And I think one of the, the key points is that there's, I keep saying it, being repetitive probably, but, like, the people that you have, you're not getting more. Like, you might get more, but you know what I mean. Like, this is all we have. So we have to treat people with respect and kindness while we're, like, while they're here or eventually they won't be here anymore. Yeah, she said she hate people. God said, bet, you ain't never going to see people again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's it. But um, and speaking of people, um, in the book, actually, there are some different families, I believe, and different characters bought into the book. But Sam Esmail, I don't know if I'm saying his name right. It might be Esmail. I think it's Esmail. But he changed it in the movie because he really wanted to zone in on these two families, on these six people, because um, he wanted to build this sort of like claustrophobic feeling as if you're the only people in the world mm. and there's no one out there that can really help you. It's just y'all. And also, like you said, um, it makes sense. Harken on the point that we are literally all we have. Yeah. Like there's cars out here driving on their own. Planes are flying out of the sky teeth are falling out and well besides Danny I guess Danny is like an outsider but he didn't want he didn't want to he didn't branch off to the different characters the way that um Alam did in his book so yeah 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 no that makes that makes sense and then so after the deer they had to scare the deer away um even though the deer tried to I guess they were gonna eat him they were gonna <laughs> that oh, reminds no. me of an episode of Parks and Rec when um April, April Ludgate, uh, she's talking to Andy, and Andy's super jealous because he just broke up with Anne, and Anne is going hunting with this new dude she's dating, Mike Brandanowitz, and mm. they're going hunting in the woods, and he's like, man, I'm so jealous, and April's like, maybe a deer will eat him. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> <laughs> but, That's yeah. funny. So, so after she scared them off, um, they find bike tracks, Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they did. They did say that Ruth took one of the bikes. No, Rosie took one of the bikes. Yes, and then and then in the encounter with Danny, Danny mentions that the thorns may have a doomsday bunker. It might be able to help because they had a bunch of um, contracts. They had a contract to basically build some secret structure that his friend, his friend contractor, Danny's other contractor friend, wouldn't show him the blueprints for it. So he said that's mm. that's secret rich people doomsday device, doomsday bunker. So go check it out. And where are they now? This is this is still when they're making a stand with Danny. I know. But I'm saying like the people who build that bunker are trying to be so secretive and not letting oh, people keeping the yep. contract designs to themselves. Where are they now? Exactly. And that's 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 also kind of a terrifying point. Right. Is that like you go and invest all this stuff. And you not home when the road breaks? <laughs> I, would be, I would be sick, yo. Uh, if I went and, and invested a million dollars to build this bunker and I'm not home, I'm yeah. in Philly, yeah. I would be sick. Yeah, yeah. Sick. And Philly would but, be ground zero real quick. <laughs> for real, real like, quick. real quick, right? So then... uh So after after the the climax, right, where George makes the stand and pulls out his gun, and is the most tense part of the whole movie, Clay jumps in and he makes his plead, um, that basically like, hey, what are we doing? Calm down, like, put the guns down, mm-hmm. and eventually they do, and he and and Danny accepts a thousand bucks. So after they're talking, Danny suggests that maybe a few enemies teamed up, right, because. His friend in San Diego saw pamphlets in Korean or Mandarin, mm-hmm. right? Whereas, the obviously... The pamphlets that we have here that Clay saw looks like it's in Arabic. It's in Arabic, right? And the guy and the guy was like, yo, man, the dude who told me this did like six stores in Afghanistan and Iraq. So mm-hmm. he would have recognized a Middle Eastern language. You know what I mean? Like the symbolism so, of the Deaf America symbolism and everything. Exactly. Okay. He would, and then I think the whole thing is just misinformation, mm-hmm. propaganda. And this is the most chilling part of the whole movie okay. is afterwards when uh, George goes in the car and he explains the three stages of the most economical way to, 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 to cause a collapse of, the company, of a country. So the first stage is isolation. You make the target deaf dumb and as paralyzed as possible right and that's what they did when they um the noise basically the the well that's what they did with the uh the teslas not letting people evacuate the city okay that's what they did with um knocking out the cell service Mm -hmm. right knocking out the communications um the second stage is synchronized chaos terrorize them with coverts attack and misinformation overwhelming their defenses and leave the weapon systems vulnerable to extremists in their own military. <laughs> That's without Danny. A, yeah. Mm. So without a clear enemy or motive, people will start turning on each other. If done successfully, the third stage will happen on its own. So basically, the that was the noise. That yeah. was the the synchronized attack, right? Yeah. And it's a and recipe for not, civil war. Yeah, it's a recipe for civil war. And in step three is civil war and collapse. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is considered the most effective way to destabilize a country 
because the target nation was dysfunctional enough, mm. it would do the work for you. Mm. And I was thinking, what nation, what <laughs> first class nation is more dysfunctional and than divided. the United States America. and divided? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Like it's called the United States of America, but there's nothing united about us right mm-hmm. now. Right. If you think about the politics different between where we're at right now, between Oklahoma and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Right. Or just how people just think. I don't know. It's like it, it's so it, it's a combination of the media. Like how opinion. the this this place is called a melting pot. But people get mad if you speak anything other than English. Like, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 crazy how polarizing some of these things that we fight and fight for that some matter a lot some matter not at all Mm -hmm. because i think we don't have an understanding of one another Mm -hmm. right i think most america most americans think more like amanda than they do like george yeah right yeah more people are like i don't understand you i'm gonna keep my box you are inherently bad unless you prove it otherwise is very based on confirmation bias Yes, like, exactly. I believe what I I only agree with what I already believe, and I find things to confront my beliefs. And like you said, an, an, an inability to learn, which I think George still has a little bit of. I think he's too trusting, but you know, I am American, so. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and and the thing is, is that I think the characters in the story all showed a different facet of society, mm. and and how these different facets, even even though they're in the same house, mm-hmm. right? Amanda with you know, her, pep, skepticism, her pessimism and, and Archie's a nihilist. Yes. Right. Uh, Clay's um, an optimist. Yep. Clay's an optimist. And Rosie um, seems like a surrealist. Yeah. Literally surrealist. She doesn't live in, she's a space cadet. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then Ruth seems more practical. Right. And, and then George, you know, he is, he has a hero syndrome mm-hmm. and a kindness syndrome. You know, yeah, and these type of people, they had to figure out how to get along to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one social and experiment. What if this is all just a big social experiment? What the, this movie? Yeah, like it's all yeah. just like ah, gotcha. We see how y'all gonna react. This is just a drill. Get it together because roar is happening in twenty four hours. <laughs> exactly. Don't make the right? same mistakes. Um. So after after all this is happening, right? I'm still in um this part of the movie the end so it's called the last one the last one yes so rosie she wanders into the thorns house they show her sitting up there eating all this junk food a table full of junk food and then she hears her mom calling outside so she gets up to go to her mom but then she gets interested intrigued by uh by a door in the hallway she goes and she finds the thorns bumper. bumper. She goes downstairs, bunker. She see is decked out with all this food, all these supplies and everything. But then she goes and sees the TV and put on Friends mm-hmm. and watches Friends mm-hmm. instead of grabbing her parents. I think she deserves to watch Friends. Y'all niggas wasn't listening to her. Y'all watch Friends. This is that, this is your heart's desire. This Y'all is something you would do. You're Rosie. <laughs> You're Rosie. L- listen, you would she, disappear. She find, I don't. I I think once the finale is over, she's gonna find them. But I think right here and right now, she just wants. She's been wanting to watch Friends. She needs this. So 
I didn't I didn't get to watch the movie fully again to this part. So if if I would have watched it again, I'll probably have a different answer. But from seeing this initial part for the first time, I'm like, okay, girl, this is what you wanted. You finally got it. Go find the math. You deserve it. You deserve no. it. No. Watch your no. friends. No. 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 The world is over. And my thing you have is, every why would she go back out there where it's not safe? She found her bunker. Stay where you the, at. So she gonna go in there and die by herself? No, she got all that. How's she gonna die? She got all that food. It's safe and secure. All she gotta do is lock the door. She ain't gonna die. Everybody else she, gonna die. And she gonna be up there with go, friends having a good time. She, she could go crazy. She she don't. Mm-mm. I think she's fine. It's like no. like <laughs> like, like it, it just saying like oh mom, right? Like well, besides the <sighs> what what do you what do you think it symbolizes? Her choosing to ignore her parents and watch friends. I think it symbolizes. One, I get the temptation, right? Because, but then again, I don't. If this whole thing happened over three weeks and she found the bunker. Well, you still think about it too logically. You have to understand she has a, an unnatural attachment to friends, but what's the reason for that? If you understand the reason, you understand the why. But you're looking mm. at it from a person who doesn't understand who you're looking at as a person who's logical but her her attachment to friends is not logical she said she 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 cares for the characters remember she said it to archie she's like i care for them so you you know you got to think more past the logical sense of it no i guess you're right i guess and she has a compulsion to watch it and she's been stressing and, and and worried about it and stressed about it and she finally have opportunity then yeah i guess i understand why she would watch it Right. Normally, I think that's abnormal. I think I would have beat her. It's very abnormal. Right. But no, I think you're right. To understand who she was as a character, I think it's not super crazy that uh, that she would basically. It makes perfect sense to me. Her family to watch a show. She woke her mama up first thing in the morning, told her dad to watch Friends, told her dad to go up on the roof. All she cared about was the deer and friends. Yeah. So it's like it, it makes perfect sense to me. And I'm glad yeah. she got what she wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so then the movie ends there. And I know people are pissed. I was mad the first time. I was like, what the hell? I was like, that was why a whole lot you, of nothing. Why were you mad? Because I didn't, I, like I said, I, I was looking for a simple, clean ending. I was looking for everything to be explained. Because when I first heard the Civil War theory that George brought up, I was like, really? I was like, that. Of course, like I was like, that's so. It, it was corny to me. It seemed like the whole movie. It seemed like George was just like spewing platitudes the first run. I'm just like, what you're saying doesn't hold any water. But as I did some research, now I I don't feel that way at all. And um, yeah, like I said, I haven't rewatched it all the way to the ending yet. But um, yeah, the first run rewatching how it ended, I was very upset. I was like, what? I was like, what is this? But if I watch it, I, I get it now. So I feel better about it now. But the first time, yeah, I was I was very upset. Yeah. So so when it ended, Ali and I was like, what? And it just took me a, a while to process what I watched. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I watched and what I wrote down is a few things. One, one is that the moral of the story is if America does not end their division and hateful this will ultimately allow our enemies to destroy us by enabling us to destroy ourselves. People need to fight for one another and be prepared for any challenge. That's the moral of the story that I got, right? 
And the scary part is, is that it's true. Like we are so divided as a country and as a people that like on anything Mm -hmm. from like anything. Grits are salt. I mean, salt or sugar in your grits. Yeah. From salt and sugar to your grits. Quickest way to tear black Twitter up. Yeah. You know, and it's, it just, it's, it's scary Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. And also that. I am, wo- like I said, woefully unprepared. Woefully unprepared. Yeah. Like, like, I got, I don't even think I got rice in the refrigerator. Like, if something happened, like, what do you, you don't keep rice in the refrigerator. But you know what I mean? Like, I, like, something happened, what am I going to do? Like, I got, yeah, it just, it just, it just. No generators, yeah. no surplus yeah. of water. Exactly. No canned goods, no flashlights. No like, what do you, like, no you know weapons. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like nothing, you know, but I th- I liked the movie a lot, and I liked it the first time I saw it. The first time I saw it, at a five texted you, I'm like, "Yo, man, we need to review this movie." Okay, because it has it has such intricacies, and yeah, you know the the plot wasn't uh the the his his he was just guessing what he thought was right, but I felt like because of the movie of how it goes, you had to believe him. You had to basically take what they said. As the most plausible information. Because there is no right answer. There's no right answer, yeah. yeah. Everything is it. very ambiguous. That's, that's if you come in there expecting to understand what's happening, you won't. Because we're, and it makes sense because we're just like the characters. We don't understand. If the characters don't understand what's happening, why should we? Exactly. And there's not an all-knowing narrator to tell us. Exactly. Like, I feel like it adds to the immersion. We're just as confused as you are, you know. Yeah. But also, like, <clears throat> they're going to find each other. Right, Rose, uh, uh, Ruth, and Amanda are outside the house. The guys are driving back to the house, and then eventually, when they realize they're not in the house, they go go. They go follow. They go go to the thorns, and they go find them, and they all go group there. Or what's going to happen is that Ruth and Rosie are going to. I'm not uh, Ruth, Amanda, and Rosie are going to basically find each other in the bunker. Then most likely, one of them will go back get the guys and bring them back to the thorns and they can hang out in the bunker. The only questions that I have is the thorns are going to come back. The thorns are dead, James. Well, if they're not dead, they might come back or maybe the contractor who built it might come back. Or maybe eventually if Danny runs out of supplies, he's going to come back. But how do you want to get there? If they, if, if everyone, let's say everyone in that area is gone during um, I don't know the season because I don't know maybe they're renting it out. They it's may probably, be so far like away the that they fall. can't get back there. Yeah, you saw the roads. Yeah, I mean if they're in town, people in town might come over. Okay. Because if 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 basically if George can drive from his house to Danny's house to the Thorns house, then Danny can also drive to the Thorns house. Well, uh, oh Danny can yeah, but Danny Danny doesn't want to congregate with y'all. Danny go say where he at. I mean, if Danny eventually is like, I need some stuff, mm. and I know who might have some stuff, mm. he might go over there. That's okay. what I'm trying to say. I'm saying whatever. Basically, I'm saying that bunker, they need to be able to defend it. Mm. That's all I'm trying to get at. All right. I get you. To to defend it. So what would you rate Leave the World Behind? So I would give it a large bag of popcorn. Okay. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that the themes were impactful. I could see... Especially Barack, I, I can see his impact, his impact in the movie and why he appreciated the book because he is an optimist. He does believe the best in people, and I think that he knows that people 
suck sometimes, but this kind of shows like, yo, man, like even in a, in a tragedy, you need to figure out how to come together. But also, I think the movie serves as a warning. It definitely. I think it shows. I think it serves as a warning um, for us as individuals to be prepared for anything to happen, but also serves as a warning for the country to basically get your act together because the more uncommon ground we have. The, the more uncommon ground that we have, the more vulnerability we have uh, towards our enemies. Our division is a weak spot. A division is a weakness. Just like the Jenga spot, right? Yeah. When you go and separate Jenga, mm. right? The, 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 the weakest area, the most unstable area, when you move those, when you single out a particular piece, right? Mm. You single out those pieces. Yeah. And that's the most areas. That's the highest area of instability. Mm. Yeah. Right. And that's what our basically America is a giant Jenga right now mm. that if you go and you pull up, do those three stages, pull off three key points or whatever, you know, it's a wrap. I don't know how successful a country would be able to do that in that magnitude. But in all seriousness, like when they went in the bunker, it was like they just did it in key population points. They didn't have to do it with the whole country. Mm. They did it in New York, L.A., you know, what I mean, like probably Houston, just just population centers and then from there the rest does it for you like mm. if dallas breaks you know oklahoma go to trip you yeah. know like like you know it doesn't even have to impact the whole country yeah and one other point i have is this same sort of methodology is so in world war ii another book i'm reading called the bomber mafia i'm a big michael um, malcolm gladwell type person but they talked about how in world war ii there was a uh um, two different strategies, right? It was for bombers. Traditionally, it was, you know, you bomb as much as you can as possible, right? You basically torch, like scorch earth bombing. That's what they called it. That is where, apocalyptic. Yeah, and that's what they did. So like, there was like one night, like for like a year straight, like wow. Germany bombed England, bombed London. Every night, mm. every night, they dropped like, a hundred aren't they like, called airstrikes yeah just air raids oh, wow. right those air raids were just like crazy and they killed like forty-three thousand people mm. and dropped millions of tons of, of 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 bombs and ammunition on london like over like a year and a half span or whatever right but London survived. Mm. They said that like they, they interviewed Londoners and it was like, yeah, we still go to clubs. We still go out. And when there was an air raid, we kind of got in a shelter. crazy what you can adapt it. to. It's crazy. Right. But what people, what we realized at towards the end of world war two is that sometimes you don't have to burn everything. You just need to hit the strategic areas, right? Mm -hmm. You need to hit where the communication comes from. You need to hit where the main weapon systems are. You need to hit their food source and eventually you can cripple the country. Mm. And this is what type of attack that was, right? It was a type of attack that was like strategic and not just, oh, we could drop a nuke, right? That's yeah. what we think. And like Someone's you said, just it saves drop a lot a of nuke. money. It saves a lot of money. It saves a lot, of, like to be honest with you, it saves a lot of lives, but it cripples the country so much faster. So much. Which I think probably doesn't save a lot of lives if you're, messing with the food there's probably a lot of people who starve yeah like short-term direct yeah. direct correlation lives okay yeah. but so what do you think about the movie 
Um, I will give this movie a medium bag of popcorn, but like a large, like a bigger medium bag of popcorn, only because what? I what? I can't what? like that a medium bag of popcorn that's a little bigger. Like you know, don't make any sense. They put a little extra popcorn in there. <laughs> that makes no sense. You you just making up stuff. No, is it? You know how is it like, a medium or is it a large? Like you know how like you get a you get a medium fry, but there's a little bit of fries in the bag, but it's still considered a medium fry. You know I'm gonna let you live. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say a medium. I'm gonna say a medium, okay. but um, <laughs> ignore the geek. But I'm gonna say a medium because it's just you know the first run of the movie. Like I said, I was kind of like, oh, this is dragging on. They're talking so much. And there are a few points where, you know, I was engaged, but I think it was just too much of a buildup. And because of what I was expecting, yes, I went in there expecting a certain type of movie and I didn't get that. And I had to really learn how to watch the movie in a way. So, and I'm just going to be honest, like I'm just not, call me unsophisticated or whatever, but that that's how I felt, you know. Maybe I do like sitcom ass movies where things wrap up and things are explained. But <laughs> you know, the second watch was a lot more enjoyable. I did thoroughly enjoy it upon the second watch, but I think the first one watch does still hinder my rating a little bit. So I'll give it a medium mm. back of popcorn. But if someone said they'll give it a large, I understand because the movie, the cinematography was beautiful. Like there was this one point in a movie where Mahershala says, um, he said something like, I don't think things are ever going to go back. And yeah. how the way they shot that film, it was such like just like a there it is type of moment. And then right afterwards, you hear the noise for the first time. Mm. And like it was just it was just so it was just like a there it is. And like how his face looked and the lighting and the, the framing. It was it's a beautiful looking movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah. So, yeah, that that's my uh that's our review, guys. I hope you like it. This is our longest uh, review ever. This is a this is this is quite a a big movie to unpack. So yeah, it is. If you stick around to the end, kudos to you, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you for another episode of watch of listen to the Watch That John podcast. You can watch Leave the Road Behind on Netflix. Yes, and you can listen to this podcast and more episodes. On Spotify, Apple Music, and where else you wherever else you find your podcasts. So please like us on Instagram at Watch That John and follow our page for more episodes and content. All right, bye guys. Oh, Merry Christmas! By the way, I, I don't Merry know. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I don't know if another episode will drop before Christmas, but just in case, Merry Christmas, guys. Happy New Year, Happy Holidays. If you don't celebrate or not, just have a good time. All right. Good time. Yes. More episodes are soon to come. Bye.